0: But one of the reasons why I'm excited about being in porn is because it is situated on that line between what's real and what's not. You know, I'm having sex. um, I'm not really having sex. I'm performing. I have to have an orgasm, so I have to feel it. But I also have to be conscious of where all my body parts are. When people watch it, they're watching real sex, but they're actually also watching a highly staged scenario. Mm -hmm. Like those places um, where that's all teased out is so fascinating to me. And honestly, I would say almost everything is real and unreal. At the same time, we just have to look hard enough into it. I mean, if you, uh, you know, even if you look at material, there's a, there's a reality to it and there's an unreality to it. Because the fact of the matter is, you can't untangle conscious states from the external world. And so, the, mm-hmm. the way I like to say it is that, you know, the external world is just the part of our consciousness that appears to be outside of us. Why don't we waste
1: our time
2: thinking about an obligation?
3: Is the great Carsey Blanton singing her tune Smoke Alarm. Great song, Smoke Alarm. You can hear the whole thing at the end of the podcast. Uh, we're back. I'm back. You're back. That means we're back. Wonderful to be here. It's fucking hot in Vancouver tonight. It's 11.15 p.m. Sunday, the 30th of June, I believe. And it's actually hot in Vancouver. It's... Um, <clears throat> Way hotter everywhere else, though, so I'm not complaining. I think it's like setting global temperature records right now in Southern California and the Southwest. So uh my heart goes out to you people down there. I hope you got some misters going on, some AC, some fans, some kiddie pool in the backyard, some uh, bag of ice down your pants, whatever it takes. Um. Thank you for the feedback on the last podcast with Ari. When I first uploaded it, it was uh, in two channels somehow, and I don't really know how this happened. But when I was editing it, my voice was one, uh, like one file, and Ari's voice was the other file, and uh, so I was going through and removing some of the places where I go, uh huh, okay, cool, right? You know, just noise. Uh, which I know is irritating. Um, And then I forgot to merge them together into one mono file. So when I first uploaded it, some people were like, yo, you guys are moving back and forth across my brain too much. So uh, I re-uploaded it. So if you listen to part of it and just got fed up and stopped and you want to hear the rest, uh, if you go back to iTunes now or any of the other uh, spots where you can hear the podcast um, I uploaded a file that's that's mono, so that uh, that should be taken care of. Now, since I mentioned it, let's go through some of the places you can find the podcast. It's on Stitcher, it's on iTunes, it's at my site chrisryanphd.com. it's on uh dot along with the Duncan Trussell Family Hour and uh, a slew of other fantastic podcasts are there at Feral Audio. Uh, I'm happy if you get it anywhere, but, um, if I had to pick, I'd probably say get, you can go to my site, um, because at chrisryanphd.com, not only do you have access to the amazing sex at dawn t-shirts brought to you by sure design t-shirts, sure t-shirts.com in Thailand designed by Levi Greenacres at Levi greenacres.com who's, uh, very cool guy. I talk about the two of them in every podcast because they're f- fantastic. The T-shirt people and the designer really put it together and did something cool. Um, anyway, uh, the reason I'm sending you to my site, aside from the fact that I'm paying for unlimited bandwidth and all that other crap, is that uh, you can comment on the, the individual episodes, their photos of the guests, um, There are show notes, there's some, you know, to some of the music, some links to books, things like that. Um, You know, when I have time, I, I put up a lot of that stuff there. But in any case, it's a good, it's a good spot where you can leave a comment, you can talk to other people about the episode, you can tell me. Uh, What you liked and what you didn't like, and so on and so forth. Of course, you can also leave comments and ratings at iTunes, which I really appreciate. Um, There are, I think, over 100 comments at this point, uh, which blows my mind because this whole podcast thing was sort of came out of nowhere, honestly. Duncan suggested it over a beer the day I did my first podcast with him. And uh, I thought, yeah, all right, well, I'll give it a shot. You know, why not? And next thing I know, it's become my number one best excuse for not writing because I feel like I'm doing something as opposed to trimming my toenails or cleaning the mirror in the bathroom or any of the other millions of things that writers get up to when they should be writing. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, okay, so. Let's talk. This week, it's a big week. It's a really big week. Um, The Defense of Marriage Act went down in flames, finally, as it certainly deserves, which at least on some level, on the federal level, says that uh, homosexual people, queer people, bisexual people, in other words, people, Uh, have the right to marry each other. And while I'm not necessarily a huge fan of traditional marriage, uh, I do think it's important that uh, if you're going to have legal benefits associated with marriage, then you can't say those benefits can only go to straight people or nominally straight people. Uh, That's just bullshit. So uh, I'm really happy that uh, the country is finally acknowledging that... uh, Two men or two women who love each other should have the same retirement benefits, tax benefits, um, survivor benefits, and so on. Uh, the right to visit each other in the hospital. All these things. Immigration, for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. You're in love with somebody. You've got a 10-year relationship with them, but you can't live. You can't get them a visa to live in the same country because you're gay? Come on. So anyway, I'm really happy about that. Um So that's the first thing I wanted to talk about. Um, What else? Dan Savage, you know. Anyone who's ever heard me talk for more than 15 or 20 minutes knows how I feel about that guy. I think he's not only a really cool guy, a really friendly, generous, kind, and amazingly humble guy. You wouldn't guess that probably if you read the way he writes and sometimes the way he he speaks when he's on stage. Uh, He can be pretty... Forceful and uh, devil may care But in person, the guy is is very sweet And um, kind of, I don't know what the word is Very retiring He's certainly not full of himself um, So, anyway, fantastic guy And I honestly believe that he is a historic figure And I think this week catapulted him onto a whole new level his latest book is fantastic, by the way. It's called American Savage. I highly recommend it. I got it, read it, uh, first half of it on the flight to L.A. a couple of weeks ago when I was going to go see him in San Diego where he received an award from the American Humanist Association. And I had to stop reading uh, in the plane because after laughing out loud, which I don't care about, on the plane, I got to a point where I was about to start crying out loud. And I, I just had to stop. And, uh, you know, man, nobody likes to cry, but that dude can write. That dude can take you right where he is. And you feel like you're there with him. And it's uh, it's a pretty amazing book. So highly recommended American Savage Another book I've read recently is Franz Deval's latest book called The Bonobo and the Atheist, which is a very interesting look at how the impulses that uh, eventually lead to religious doctrine and dogma uh, don't come from God, as most religions maintain in one way or another. They actually come from within our primate um. Programming, our primate, our evolved tendencies. I prefer to programming since we're not computers. Uh, Very interesting book. A very, a very subtle um, look at this ongoing debate between, on the one side, people like Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, um, Richard Dawkins, uh, and on the other side, uh, a more religious. You know, those are the 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 atheists. What I sometimes think of as fundamentalist atheists, uh, Bill Maher people who think, uh, you know, religion is just dumb and um, the source of evil. And then on the other side, you've got the uh, religious people, obviously, who are saying "No, religion is wonderful and, and sublime and the source of, of good. Franz Duval finesses that debate in a way that I think is uh, far more accurate and interesting than the the caricatures that are produced on, on the two extremes so um, definitely recommend that, The Bonobo and the Atheist. If you want to read my very personal review of the book in which I talk about how I met Franz of all and, and got some insight into his character as a man, you can check out my blog uh, on Psychology Today, and I also cross-publish it on my website, chrisryanphd.com. Okay. What else can I talk about? A couple, some shout outs to people. Uh, Barone sent me a beautiful email. Thank you very much for that. Started off. If I remember correctly, started off saying something like, you know, I'm not the kind of person who writes emails to authors, but here I am. (laughs) I've written a couple emails or letters myself, uh, that began on a note, not dissimilar to that. um, over the years. I also wanted to say, Hey, Sally, you Australian pervert. Very nice to hear from you. It's good to know there are perverts in Australia and uh, Troy in the outback. For some reason, uh, there seem to be a lot of people in Australia who listen to the podcast and get in touch. I've sent, I don't know how many t-shirts to Australia already, at least maybe at least half a dozen T-shirts to Australia. Getting a lot of orders, a lot of international orders. Uh, sent one to Korea today. Uh, lots to Canada, of course, although that's not really international. But um, strangely, it's a lot cheaper to send a T-shirt to, a, to Canada from L.A. than it is to send it from Vancouver. I don't know what the hell's going on with that. But it must be because of all the socialism up here. Ironic. That was meant ironically. Um, okay. What else? Aziz Ansari, the comedian, the guy who's on, um, Parks and Recreation. Very funny guy. Uh, yeah. Somebody, what happened? Somebody said he'd mentioned our book or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I said something, I put a thing on Twitter, said, Hey, if anybody knows Aziz Ansari, um, Put him, you know, uh, tell him I'm a fan or whatever. Because I heard that he had liked our book. I don't remember how I heard that. Maybe he tweeted it or no, I, I don't know what the hell it was. But anyway, I heard he he likes at Dawn. And uh, next thing I know, I got an email from him, and we've been corresponding uh, about uh, primate uh, sexual evolution. Interestingly, I guess he's he's working some mating behavior stuff into his uh, into his material. So we'll see. I'm gonna go down to LA in a few weeks sometime early August I think um and we are scheduled to get together I'll try to interview him for the podcast I try not to be a pain in the ass about asking people to be on the podcast I'll sort of mention it offhand and if he's up for it we'll do it if not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push him you know the dude he's got a lot going on I'm sure but I'll be interviewing some really interesting people down there including um uh the world's Greatest close-up magician who's also uh, a very very smart guy. Jamie Ian Swiss is his name. It's a great interview, or not interview, a profile of him in The New Yorker. You can Google, check him out if you're interested in that, or you can just wait and listen to the conversation. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to interview a couple other people. I'll tell you about them later. Um, okay. This is going on a little too long. I don't like to keep you waiting that long before we get to the the guest who is today, Connor Habib, who I met through Duncan Trussell. Um, Connor is one of the smartest guys around, I gotta say. He's uh it was it was a really interesting conversation we had. I had never met him, so You're hearing uh, a conversation between two people who who saw each other for the first time about 10 minutes before the mics went on. We met uh, at a cafe in Topanga Canyon where Cassie and I were living a couple months ago, which is just north of L.A., sort of uh, cuts into the mountains from Malibu. And, uh, yeah, I was going to show him around Topanga, but, uh, we got, yeah, I met him at this cafe, we jumped in my car, we drove up the mountain and by the time we got halfway up the mountain, it was, uh, completely fogged in. So he didn't see anything in the end, except we just sat there on this little, this little parking area that was overlooking the Pacific, but we couldn't see the Pacific. So we were just in a cloud for the whole conversation, which was pretty cool in its own right. Um, Okay, Connor. Who the hell is Connor? Connor is as you'll hear, he's a gay porn star with about 100, I think he said 120, 115 movies or something like that. Um yeah, I was going to say under his belt. I guess that would be kind of cheesy though, right? Uh he's but he's he's way more than that. He's also a serious scholar of human sexuality. He's um an evolutionary biologist, he probably wouldn't call himself that because I think he didn't finish his doctoral program, but he's, um, he, for years he was a protege of one of the world's leading evolutionary biologists, uh, Lynn Mar- Margolis, I think is how you pronounce her name, maybe it's Margulis. Um, but you'll hear him talk about her. She was married to, uh, oh shit, what's his name? cosmos carl sagan yeah she was married to carl sagan for a long time so uh we'll talk a little bit about that and um yeah i think that's all i had to talk about we covered the t-shirts get yourself some t-shirts even if you don't get a sex at dawn shirt go to sure t-shirts.com and check out some of their other shirts they're really cool they're they're thin material but strong Uh, And a little stretchy, but 100% cotton. I don't know how the hell they do it, but they're really unique material. I like it a lot. And, uh, yeah, I covered the different sites, Feral Audio. I think that's about it. Yeah. So in our lives, the news is I think we're not going to stay in Vancouver beyond the end of August. Because we thought we'd come up here and get the the wheels turning to get residency and just stay in Canada. Cause we both really like Canada, but we want to be near, you know, major North American cities for work stuff and to see my parents and friends and all that. Uh, and it, until recently, both a medical doctor and psychologist were on the list of desired professions. So we were told, yeah, it's easy for you guys. Casilda's a doctor. I'm a psychologist. Uh, No problem. So I went to a lawyer a few weeks ago and the lawyer was like, "Eh, yeah, but there's a new list came out in May and both those professions are now off the list. So it looks like it would be a hassle." Uh, serious hassle. And since we're really only looking at probably, you know, five year plan, it's not worth it to spend two years or three years working on a five year plan just to get it rolling. So I think the only way that could really happen now is if a Canadian university offered me a teaching position uh, or hired one of us for some other reason, but Cassie can't work as a doctor. She can't even get her medical license certified until she's a Leo resident. So uh, it looks like I'd have to to work as a a teacher somewhere. So if anybody listening happens to be, uh, you know, dean of faculty at a Canadian liberal arts college or university and you want to hire me to come and uh, teach for a while, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Failing that, we'll probably, I think we're going to move down to Portland, which seems like a pretty good place to be based for a while. So if you're in Portland, say hi Next time you see us wandering down the street All right I think that's about it So I'm going to I'm going to leave you with One of my favorite Gay men And before I do I should say something about Gay men have played a really important role in my life I'm straight and, And I've never really I'm pretty far to the end of the Kinsey scale Um And I think the fact that I'm so hopelessly, uh, inflexibly straight has allowed me to be very friendly with, uh, gay men because, you know, there's no confusion. There's no, at least on my part, there's never, there's never been any sort of weirdness or temptation on a sexual level, which leaves me free to explore other kinds of intimacy, um, you know i've I've had gay male friends with whom I've shared more secrets, more intimate details about my life than I have with uh, probably with any straight man with maybe one exception but you know i just I, I feel like there's some quality. There's some openness to experience and to and to intimacy, I guess is the only way to say it, that I find with gay men that I don't find with anyone else. And it's uh it's perplexing and interesting. Um but anyway, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if a straight guy can be a fag hag, but if if there's a word for that, uh let me know. That's that's pretty much what I am. I'm a huge fan of of uh Particularly straight guys. I mean, I can't say I've had a lot of lesbian friends. So, um, you know, but I admire everybody who faces their shit, who faces who they are, who faces an unfriendly world uh, that wants to keep them in a the closet and says, no, I'm sorry, uh, this is who I am. This is what I have to do. And and I'm not going to be ashamed just because you tell me to. I, I really admire that, and I think that, going through that process of coming out of the closet is uh you know i'm sure it's a very very difficult experience but i think that the the people who make it through come through it uh marked and touched and uh changed in a in a way that enriches them and um so i think this week uh it's appropriate that we we, we acknowledge that We acknowledge that uh, Someone who looks at themselves in the mirror And accepts what they see And loves what they see Is a kind of pioneer in this world That's telling us all We have something to be ashamed of So uh, I'll end on that note And leave you with As I say The only gay man Who has ever really made me Reconsider yeah. Listeners, I'm sitting here in my car in the Bonobo-mobile with uh, Connor Habib. We, uh, we're in Topanga. I was going to give him a, a bit of a tour of Topanga Canyon and because and, uh, I guess you're going to be moving to L.A. sometime uh, yeah, soon. Yeah, I think so. And um, unfortunately, it's a strangely foggy day.
0: It's a tour of the fog. It's a tour of the fog.
3: So I left San Francisco, and uh, you brought me
0: right into the fog. Right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right. We're, We're up in the clouds. Uh so maybe during during this podcast you might hear us say, Oh, hey, it's clearing or you might not. So either way, we're we're up overlooking the Pacific. You just have to take my word for it. Connor can see it about as clearly as you can right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's down there, I promise. So uh we were having all sorts of interesting conversations on the drive up here and I kept interrupting Connor to say, Save it for the podcast, man. Save yeah,
0: it. basically shut the fuck up. Thanks, man. <laughs>
3: exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about boring shit. Um all right, so Connor, why don't you you tell us who you are? Now, I know you. I looked at uh, I've I've the way you and I sort of got in touch is that we both know Duncan.
0: Right. Yes, the Duncan great Trussell. Duncan Trussell.
3: <clears throat> yeah. And uh and then I, you've been on Duncan's podcast. You've been on Daniele Bolelli's podcast as well? No, no, I was
0: on Duncan's podcast with Danielli and ah, okay. and he and I both
3: have the same publisher so we're right
0: uh so we're sort of linked that way and yeah
3: disinformation yes that's right yeah yeah and what's your your book about it's it's coming out soon you said
0: uh it's not going to come out till next year um Uh, but that's uh, that's soon in publishing that that it's really soon especially since my manuscript is due in july so it's a quick turnaround which is awesome about them um but uh yeah my book's going to be mostly about Uh, this is so broad, it's going to be about sex and culture, which is so broad, but it is a super broad book because this information used to have a series, uh, which Daniello wrote one of his books about, which is like 50 things you're not supposed to know. His was 50 things you're not supposed to know about religion, but then there was like 50 things that could change the world, that sort of thing. And so I proposed a 50 things you're not supposed to know about sex and, uh, they liked it, but they were like, but we want you to just be more you in it. So, which is a really nice thing to have a publisher say, really? <laughs> kind of rare. Yeah. So, better um, than, could you be less you? Yeah. <laughs> so basically, uh, it's going to have like, uh, like 50 to 60 items, but around surrounding all of that, it's going to be, um, my sort of thoughts linking all these different items together into sort of a complete. Sexual philosophy, I guess. A
3: complete sexual philosophy. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to try to take a picture of All you because right, I I, now I'm. Uh, so, podcast listeners, I'm, you will hear. This is. Let's see. Did it flash? It, it flashed and it didn't, didn't make a sound. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, but it's still came I'm out too, terribly yeah, yeah, because I'm too of the fog behind yeah. you. All right. We'll do that later. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So 50 things you should know about sex. Should,
0: that you're not supposed. But the book is going to be entitled. It's getting away from the 50 things series, I think. Yeah. And so the book is tentatively titled Everything You're Not Supposed to Know About Sex. But I don't like that title. So I'm going to change it by the time I turn it in. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure what. So maybe you can give me a great title by the time we're done here but it's all it's all cultural historical and some scientific stuff about sex and then just sort of woven together in a how can we actually create a sexual ethic and where does all this fucked up about sex come from which is what you
3: fuck up that's a good word yeah yeah Yeah. it's
0: all no spaces um and then uh you know you i mean you do sort of similar thing from a different angle I don't think I
3: ever used the word fuck up in this no, though, no. to my much to my regret. <laughs> yeah. As Joe Rogan used the word the other day, uh what was it? Uh Oh shit. And F- sorry. I'm I'm spacing out. He he used a word similar to fuck up in this. Yeah, uh, he was. I was listening to his podcast with the Neil deGrasse Tyson they were uh-huh. talking about whether or not the moon hoax was real.
0: Oh, I just talked to somebody else about to David Seaman about that, who has a podcast, too. Yeah, we're talking about the moon hoax. What do you think? Um, I think that it's I think that the moon hoax is this really fascinating hoax. Um it, the, or the way it's put out as a hoax is like it's so interesting to me because it straddles that line it's like something i want to believe in but i i think that i think we actually landed on the moon
3: um, yeah but and neil degrasse tyson said look his his take was you know he's an astrophysicist Yeah. and he said look man you can you can look at the amount of fuel that they put into the the rocket and that's exactly the amount of fuel you would need to get to the moon and back you yeah. can do the calculation and he said You're talking about, uh, you know, having like 50,000 engineers keep a secret for the last 40 years, right? 50 years or whatever it's been.
0: Yeah. And I think that might actually be possible. It's just, (laughs) I mean, I think the things that make it appealing are, you know, uh, Conspiracy that uh, relates these two superpowers to each other, um, creating spectacles in the media, which was very much happening then and is happening even more now. So all the elements are there, but um, yeah, when it comes down to it, I can't, I can't go all the way with it. And there are there are other conspiracies, I'm sure that I, I'm willing to entertain. But yeah, yeah,
3: yeah me too. I, yeah, it's funny the whole conspiracy thing because it's all you almost suspect that the government. Would encourage some conspiracies in order to discredit the real ones, you know? Yeah. Confuse, you know, the crop circles or the, you know, the goats (laughs) having their livers. Surgically removed <laughs> and all this weird shit. Wait, wait, anyway, so wait.
0: no, I don't want you to skip past the animals surgically. Uh, like, well, any they, other they seem
3: to like core out their assholes too. Y- yes, and that? it's like,
0: and it's like a precise incision. Yeah, that like has even like split hairs somehow um, yeah. when they slice. So I don't know where to go with weird shit like that. With that and the crop circles. I mean, I have very. um I wouldn't say magical worldview, but I'm willing to let a lot in. Um, I just don't know where to go with that kind of stuff. It's crazy. I mean, I don't think that's just government disinformation, but I have no idea what it is.
3: Yeah. Well, who knows? I mean, we're we're so far removed from the original information, you know. And you know, who's who do I know? Nobody. I don't know anyone who's ever examined personally an animal. That people are claiming, right. you know. So it's all second, third, fourth-hand information. Right. And by that point, who the fuck knows? Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to, to your area of expertise because yes. neither one of us know what the fuck we're talking okay. about at this at point.
0: all, at all. <laughs> um,
3: so the, what, what are some examples of fuck upness in, in, in the world of sex? Okay, and- so, um, so one of the things that I write
0: about I, – I mean – I'm using other people's scholarship, you know, um, and then my contribution is sort of a philosophy uniting um, other people's scholarship. So one of the things I write about is the, uh, where shame for masturbation came from, for example. Um, So the historical shaming of masturbation, which does not come from the church surprisingly enough, but comes from a weird hoax in the 17th century of this guy who was selling fake cures for the dangers of masturbation. Um, and his book sold really well. Mm. And because his book sold well, other publishers took it up and then all these and, and started making their own anti-masturbation books. The church seized on it. Government seized on it. Scientists seized on it. Philosophers seized on it. And like, it just became this war of all against all like, you know, um, and, and creating these sort of like, uh, I call them ideological parasites in the book. So like you, you've talked about this a little bit too. It's like if somebody is going to stick their hand down their pants, which we know they're going to do, you know, a no dude is going to stick his hand down his pants to masturbate. And then suddenly when he gets there, he thinks hell, Then somehow the church has found its way to create uh, an ideological structure which latches on to a perpetually generating engine, which is sexual thought. Now we're going to have sexual thought all the time. So it draws its power from uh, this thing that we're— you know, that we're always thinking about and it sucks the life from that. And then it makes us think about that constantly. So I think that's why lots of people latch on to sex as sort of a power grab. um, Now, as they know that we're going to be thinking about it all the time. So if they can insert themselves into that sexual thought field, like then we're fucked because they have uh, unlimited energy for their institution and for the image of institution.
3: That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'm surprised that religion hasn't latched on to shitting. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and other unavoidable biological processes, you know, like every yeah. time you shit, you should have to like genuflect or ask God's forgiveness or something.
0: Like yeah. That. Well, it has done it with eating. Right. But not. Oh, but, that's a good point. Yeah. 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 And then I guess I mean, I would say there's some sort of like, I don't know, maybe they were just too embarrassed to like lock into shitting. But we do feel shit shame. So where does that come yeah. from? Yeah. Do you think?
3: I don't know. That's a that's a question I've thought about. Um, more than I'd like to admit probably. Uh,
0: Every day, every day when I shit, I cry and I think about why. (laughs) Uh,
3: No, I mean, I've thought about it because, because I, okay, I've, I've spent a fair amount of time around dogs and cats and both dogs and cats seem to experience shame around shitting. They Hmm. like to be private. They like to be alone they get, they get a weird look in their eyes. If you watch them when they're shitting, they're like, dude, could you just like, leave me alone for a minute here? You know, there seems – maybe I'm projecting, but there does seem to be some sort of shame.
0: Right. Do you think that they absorb that from domesticity? That's
3: a good question. Yeah. Like maybe they pick it up from us, right? Yeah. But then on the other hand, we are talking earlier. I've traveled a lot. I've spent a lot of time in India and, and other cultures where there does not appear to be any shame associated with shitting. Right. So again – so now that could mean that, okay, it's not a human thing thing and because some societies have it, some don't, or it could mean it is a human thing and some societies have erased it or, you know, or because of whatever, the lack of plumbing. I remember one time I was in a little town called Pushkar, India, and I had just drunk a bang lassi, which is bang is like, um, it's like green tofu made from marijuana. Okay. And they, (laughs) it's a sacred substance in Hindu religion. (laughs) And so during in sacred towns or during, um, you know, religious festivals, you can get bang and you can either just eat it straight or they'll mix it into a yogurt milkshake, a lassi for foreigners. And um, I had been in India about six weeks at that point and I fucking hated it. Mm -hmm. I was going crazy. It was just so annoying and and so intense. It was just overwhelming me. And uh, one day I had a bang lassie in this little village pushkar in the desert in Rajasthan. And I was walking back to this guest house where I was staying and I was stoned, really stoned. And there was this old woman squatting by the side of the road, taking a dump, which you <laughs> see all the time in India. Okay, And as I walked by, she looked at me, smiled and put her hand out asking me for some money. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. And, and wow. I had this moment where I was like, I get it, you know? Wow, okay. I, I just clicked in, and from that point on, I loved India.
0: Oh, oh, I'm not shitting. So that's, so that's, that's fascinating. <laughs> not the I,
3: shitting, but the shamelessness of yes, it. Yes, absolutely. That's what I admired. Well,
0: little kids, like, shit in front of you without, you know what I mean? They don't hmm. have any problem. You know, right. you see, like, that great thing where you see, like, a little kid, like, running, if he's still wearing diapers, and he's having a good time, and then he's... and just, like, stops, stands still, and he has that, like, look on his face. Like, he's just stopped in his tracks, and it's because he's shitting in his pants, and then as soon as he's done, he starts running again. And that, I think, continues until someone's toilet trained. Well, and Uh,
3: toilet training and diapers, that's another weird thing, right? I mean, you got to think, as an organism, one of the things you— are pre-programmed not to do is shit all over yourself and, like, leave it there. (laughs) Right?
0: And that's exactly what diapers do. They don't just shit on yourself. It, like, smears it up on your ass cheeks. All over
3: the place. Yeah. (laughs) It's like that. there must be some biological imperative that's saying do not do this. You know, it's like don't sleep alone. You know, somebody – I was talking to somebody yesterday – and she was telling me about this documentary called Babies, uh-huh. which I have to. Oh, watch. I've heard of it. Yeah. And they like follow, I think, four or five babies, you yeah. know, from different cultures around the world. Yeah, it was filmed by child molesters. No, I'm just kidding. This
0: oh. is really <laughs> no. That's out. a different. They version. have their camera. Well, <laughs> just follow little kids around. Yeah,
3: yeah. So. I know. I, it's funny I don't know if you do this but I always think of like the porn equivalent to anything I'm talking about you know like right <laughs> yeah. well
0: everything I talk about is the porn equivalent of something else
3: oh okay. so, yeah anyway yeah we ahead. have to get to that you're also a, a gay porn star I am yeah do I have to say gay porn star or are you just a porn star
0: um I, as long as you keep star I don't mind
3: yeah have you ever <laughs> noticed how there are no like porn character actors yeah yeah everybody's yeah. a fucking star
0: honestly I feel uncomfortable calling myself a porn star and then like you know I mean I've made at 150 movies or something by now so it was like okay i couldn't say that now yeah. but there there was definitely a period where um i would say porn actor or i would say and you know i mean I re- you really are acting or i say porn performer but none of it sounds right like yeah. so, for some reason society has insisted on porn the word star, star. Yeah. yeah
3: that's a funny thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway but okay let let's let's frame who you are okay. before we go on with our discussion of baby I'm shit,
0: smearing Just the shit so on the <laughs> so people, of children. So people.
3: These <laughs> Poor people who are being subjected to our conversation have some idea who the hell we are. Okay. So they know who I am. So yes. you are an evolutionary scientist.
0: Uh, well, no, I'm not a scientist, but I did study evolution in grad school for three years. Um, it was like at a – it was all the doctorate seminars. I didn't do lab work um, because I was incapable of that. But I studied the scientists themselves, the history of science, and I studied uh, organismic uh, and evolutionary biology.
3: Yeah. And and that's where you met uh, Lynn Margolis? Lynn Margolis, yeah. She was uh, –
0: I, so what happened? The way that played out um, was I was admitted to the MFA program in creative writing. I knew Lynn was there at I, what school? At UMass, University of Massachusetts. Yeah, so, at Amherst. Yes. Uh. So I knew she was there. I knew that I thought she was awesome. So I just went up to her one day and I said, "Hey, um, I'm in the MFA program." I stopped her in the hall and she said, "What does this have to do with environmental evolution?" <laughs> and uh, and then she and then I told her, you know, I want to be in her classes, and she was so open because she. You know, she loved the humanities. She wrote a book of short stories. She lived on Emily Dickinson's property. Oh, you know, really? She's a great writer. She loved yeah. literature. So she. Um, she was like, yes, come. And so then after that, I just took all the, um, doctoral seminars. I went to, I, for three years, I did independent studies with her. I took their summer classes. I went on trips with them. So she became actually like my surrogate mother actually in a weird way. I mean, that's what she referred to herself as. And so we, um, I just spent a lot of time with her. So that's where I got my evolution and science education. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, and after that, uh, I moved to San Francisco and became a porn star. <laughs> so that's what you can do if you go to school for organismic and evolutionary biology or get your MFA. You that's become right. a porn
3: star. The, the next logical step. Exactly, which yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she she loved. I mean,
0: she, I, I still have a message on my phone somewhere. Uh, I saved it. She died um, two years ago now, and uh, but she has this. Message where she's, Habibi. She calls me, you know, by my porn name. Um,
3: Oh, is that your porn name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my porn name. Habibi. Yeah. Well,
0: Connor Habib. But yeah.
3: Habibi means the loved one. Yeah, like beloved one or sweetheart. sweetheart. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Yeah.
0: And so, uh, so yeah, porn. And, um, and now I'm giving lectures across the country, universities, on, and, and other organizations on sex and that sort of stuff. And, um, and I'm a writer. And that's pretty
3: much it yeah and you' writing I, I read i mentioned earlier i read your um a really a very well written uh, uh what would we call it story memoir but it's I'd autobiographical say, yeah. in salon about uh sex at rest stops yeah that's and right highway rest stops and,
0: and i'd re- like to point out again that Chris brought me here in his car and we yeah. stopped on the side of the well road. that's what gave Go me ahead. the ro- that's what gave me the idea <laughs> it's like you know <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, you will actually be here for my conversion it's true <laughs> yeah. it's true that y- gay guys can convert you
0: let 's see how open this guy really is uh, folks. i'm
3: afraid i'm afraid you're you're the last in a long <laughs> line of uh, if I were going to be gay, God, life would have been so much easier.
0: Over oh, you think so?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it would have been harder in some ways, but right. it'd be a lot easier to get laid. That's, yeah. That's, I that mean, is absolutely. I'll tell true. you what, dude, I've been in a lot of rest stops. I've yeah. never gotten laid in one. I'm sorry. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that I, is the
0: tragedy of the straight culture that you can't just have sex on the side of the road
3: with the stranger <laughs> In the bushes, wander off into <laughs> yeah. the bushes with well, yeah. your ticks on your legs. No, that doesn't happen <laughs> for the straight people. No, I'm afraid not. Um, yeah. So actually, have you, so let's, are you, is, I guess it's cool to talk about sexual orientation and oh, all yeah, that. You're not, sure. you're not in the closet, right? <laughs>
0: I need, I need all my fans to know who've <laughs>
3: watched like three
0: guys jizzing on my face at once. I'm, I'm attracted you're, you're to okay men. you with yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Although there are guys who are gay for pay, right? Yes,
0: that's right. That, can you tell when you're on the set with a
3: guy who's not Actually usually, gay. usually
0: i'll know ahead of time, like the the studio would usually tell me ahead of time just to sort of prep me for it, because right. there's stuff that some people who are gay when they pr- practice homosexual acts. Um, will not do. Like um, my my best friend in porn is what you would call gay for pay. He's straight identified as this guy. His name is Girth Brooks, and uh, it's a great <laughs> porn name, isn't it? It's so, so awesome. So uh, so he does he work cowboy? Hat? Yeah, no, did. no. But the girth part is girth. definitely appropriate.
3: I will say. I think girth. I have to say, I tweeted this just the other day. I yeah. think girth is a much underappreciated uh, aspect of of. Penal the penile discussion it, re- it
0: really is People all these don't talk studies. about it much. no it's yeah.
3: crazy all these studies on on penis size, and you know do women prefer this? what does right. the size matter blah 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 It's always about length, yeah, you know and and the fact is that deep inside the vagina, there are very few nerve endings
0: and there's not even quite as deep inside a vagina as we think there is
3: right like it's the not- vagina sh- shapes itself to the penis, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the
0: butt is much deeper than the vagina, is what I am
3: saying. Right? The butt, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess because it's the so. whole yeah.
0: and it's the whole <laughs> digestive tract, really. You get
3: go right up, yeah, exactly. But esophagus. girth,
0: yeah. but and girth is more pleasurable for, uh, in my understanding, girth is more pleasurable for women because right. it it creates more stimulation when you stretch exactly. out the sides right. of it. Yes, right. yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Now now for men that might I don't know, that might be the opposite. I don't know. I mean, is, is that sort of stretching associated with pleasure in gay and anal sex?
0: Um, some people like really long dicks. I find that to be kind of painful. But you have um I mean your prostate isn't that far up inside of you. You right. know, and that's where you would be getting and the that's pleasure the stimulation, from. Right. So it could be it could be short and thick and you'd right. still get it. I mean, right. yeah. Yeah,
3: all right. Okay. Anyway, um <laughs> you know, one thing I appreciated about your essay was you you talked about hooking up with this guy and then leaving and he went back to this car with little kids. Yeah. And then sort of didn't look back and drove away and and you said well, he could be straight. He could be gay. I don't know anything about his life. Right. And to me, that's something interesting. Like, as a straight guy who's hung out with a lot of gay friends over the years, like I've had, um, how can I? It's it's like for me, the idea of a straight guy who has sex with men seems really strange in a way Mm. because there have there have been lots of men in my life that I've been so close to that if I could have had sex with them I definitely would have
0: right and so I mean I think you I think if we looked into this not you specifically, but just anybody. I mean, I think we can see how completely constructed, you know, are and and sort of reified like the idea of homosexuality and heterosexuality. Are. Right. I mean, they're total; they're totally bullshit. I mean, I think, but no, they're not totally bullshit. I mean, they've been uh, they've been created by whatever cultural um, intensity and emphasis we've put around them. So they're just as real as anything else. But it's uh, but I do think that most of what you're talking about is probably, uh, probably a cultural thing over time. And I also, I, I believe that for gay men too, like there are so many gay guys that protest like, oh, my pussy is so gross like that. And yeah, I, I'm like, man, you don't really feel, yeah, you don't really feel that way. I don't think, I don't believe it. Uh, you know, I mean, I do believe it. I do believe that they are experiencing that feeling, yeah. but, um, there are lots of gay men I know also who are like, oh, well, you know, I am kind of attracted to this woman, this woman, but they feel sort of locked in. Right. To like, because they've already gone through this sexual identity right. crisis, right. in a sense, and, you know, come out feeling much healthier and much better. So who the fuck wants to enter that again, you know? Yeah. And if straight people don't ever have to enter that, they're not going to, yeah. you know? They're not yeah. going to enter into considering that.
3: You're touching on something I think is really important, and it's, it's a very subtle point that's difficult to, to make really clearly, although you, you did, I think. But this idea of how something can be both real and unreal at the same time. Yeah. You know, like I wrote a a chapter in a book about um, pain once a a textbook that's Mm. used in medical schools. And I wanted to to get at that point. And I opened by saying, imagine you have a dream. You're dreaming. You're very deep in this dream. And in the dream, you step on a shard of glass and it slices into your foot and you feel the pain. You feel it is that pain real or not <laughs>
0: it's so fascinating cuz nothing it? happened to you
3: you know yeah it is real you know and you and you if you were taking uh, electroencephalograph readings at the time it would indicate right. that you were suffering you were feeling that pain or if some monsters chasing you or whatever it is right. that's real fear real pain real terror and yet it's not real.
0: Well, so so one of the reasons, and I don't want to go too far down this path, but one of the reasons why I'm excited about being in porn is because it is situated on that line between what's real and what's not. Uh, right. You know, I'm having sex. Um, I'm not really having sex. I'm performing. I have to have an orgasm, so I have to feel it, but I also have to be conscious of where all my body parts are. When people watch it, they're watching real sex, but they're actually also watching a highly staged scenario, uh, like those places yeah. um, where that's all teased out is so fascinating to me. And honestly, I would say almost everything is real and unreal at the same time. We just have to look hard enough into it. I mean, if you, uh, you know, even if you look at material, there's a, there's a reality to it and there's an unreality to it because the fact of the matter is you can't untangle conscious states from the external world. And so the the way I like to say it is that, you know, the external world is just the part of our consciousness that appears to be outside of us. And so it's like, it's all sort of flowing around in different evolving states of consciousness. And some of them feel solid and some of them don't. And I don't really feel like there's any way to dispute that. That's something that I don't really understand about science when they say, well, it's just external material stuff. And I'm like, but you got that idea from your –
3: a conscious awareness and you have no idea what conscious awareness <laughs> is yeah. right and the yeah.
0: foundation yeah. oh well well a conscious awareness is just like our brain tricking ourselves but where did you get that idea from so mm-hmm. it's like it always regresses back into like well that came out of your consciousness somehow so yeah. that phenomenologically seems more correct to me and that is why things are real and unreal at the same time yeah. Ooh, sorry i just <laughs> no that's good that's yeah. good stuff
3: yeah I mean, you were talking before we turned on the mics we were talking about richard dawkins and uh, how, yeah. how <laughs> lynn and Richard Dawkins sort of were at loggerheads yeah. for much of their careers. And I, I'm in this book I'm working on now called Civilized to Death. Yeah. One of the things I want to get at is how is the arrogance of the this sort of new wave uh, fundamentalist atheism, yeah, you yeah. know, of Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and people Daniel like Dennett, that. Yeah. Daniel Dennett. Now, I'm I'm not a religious believer at all, but I'm not in a position to say that. Uh, people's experience isn't real, and much like you know, with the dream state, or what you were saying about you know, porn like right. straddling that line, straddling, huh? Yeah. porn <laughs> straddles. Uh, you know, if someone is raised in a religious environment, their brain, I, the way I think it happens is that our consciousness is largely um, structured by the the sort of um, intellectual, emotional, psychological, cultural. Environment that we we were raised in, you know, yeah, and so the brain is configured in a way that other brains aren't. Just like you know, if you're raised, there are studies showing that people raised in cultures that have specific words for different shades of color are more conscious of that color and they can pick it out of a spectrum. Right. You know, and others can't. Yeah. So like you or I might look and say, I don't know, it looks, you know, it's sort of dark orange and yes. someone else is like, oh yeah, there's, you know, I know exactly what that is and they pick it out. So your awareness is shaped by the configuration of your brain and that's shaped by your culture. So someone is raised like as a believing Catholic. Yes. They they have real experiences of things that I can't imagine.
0: Absolutely, and and the cultural thing begins to affect the pathways of your brain, which begins to affect the cultural thing, which yeah, back and forth and back exactly. and forth. So it's it becomes not a loop. there's no way to determine it. And uh, uh, Goethe was the one that pointed out that the I think that uh, the Greeks never use the color blue in any
3: of their works. So ah, he was like right. the wine dark sea. The wine dark yeah, sea. Yeah, that's yeah, that sort of exactly in in the Odyssey. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I find that. I mean I, also when it comes to when it comes to Dawkins and Pinker and all those people the- like, when they talk about religion and religious experience, for example, like, they don't know or ever address anything about indigenous people, right? Which is mm. something that you've worked in. So you've, you've seen that there are differences in consciousness structures between different societies. Right. Like, when they talk about religion, they're like, oh, like, Christianity as embedded. But, like, what about cultures that don't have the same principles of cause and effect as we do or the same conception of time? So there's this great... Um, there's this great book called Animism by this guy, Graham Harvey. Have you heard about no, this book? Oh, it's so fucking awesome. Really? So he's he writes about this guy. I can't remember if it was him or if it was someone else he was writing about that went and walked around Australia with this aboriginal guide. So the aboriginal guide is like pointing out things to the anthropologist. And he's like, so here's, a, here's like this, you know, mountain range and here's this and here's that. And they got to this like this other mountain range and the aboriginal guy said and there's when one giant dog is attacking another giant dog and right. its guts are spilled out on the ground and the anthropologist was like oh so that's the story you tell about this place and yeah. he's like <laughs> no that's what happened no and he's like oh, well so that's how this, these were formed he's like no there are two giant dogs don't you see them yeah. and he was like what what are you talking about and it's also that same weird thing of uh it was Black Elk who said, you know, John Nehart's like, where did the peace pipe come from? And he said, well, Buffalo Woman gave it to us. And then she turned into many different color buffalo and ran away. And he said, well, how do you know that happens? Were you there? You know, how do you know that? And he said, and he, Black Elk just sort of looked at him. He said, well, whether it happened or not, I don't know. But if you think about it, you'll see that it's true. So... <laughs>
3: Black so, uh, Elk, man, you are like the only person I know who's read Black Elk uh, Speaks. I love that book.
0: Yeah, awesome, it's right? It's an
3: amazing book.
0: Yeah, and so, so the when we get into like consciousness and experience, and like those people who deny. Who are so willing to just say, well, it's just all materiality and chemicals and blah, blah, blah. They don't even – all they know is their own limited view of their culture. They don't know anything about other cultures, anything. And they're so willing to assert that this is the view that's right. Right. And to me, science cannot situate itself that way in – in our discussion, I mean, science is a certain move of philosophy and it's a certain move of a certain type of consciousness. It can't situate itself in a way that it eliminates everything else. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Wow. That's pretty deep shit right there, man. <laughs> that Thanks. is, you know, and I sum it up by saying Stephen Pinker's a smug motherfucker, mm-hmm. but. I'm happy to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, it, it's, I think you're right. and You know, there's. The, you know that that what's that stupid line about the guy who loses his keys and he's looking for them under the light but oh, right. he actually lost them on the other side of the street yeah. but the, the lights here yeah. i think there's a, you know that science in a lot of ways yes. i mean i've got great respect for science but but the problem is that science only illuminates a particular part of reality mm-hmm. it doesn't illuminate reality itself and so there's an arrogance built in That I think the great, great geniuses recognize someone like Einstein was very conscious of the fact that he was only able to to enlighten a certain part of the picture. But there's so much more to the picture, you know, which is why I think the great scientists are, are often mystics. You they know? end up being mystics, even if they're not like
0: L- Lynn, for example, was a total, she claimed to be a total materialist, but then all these things that came out of her work, like ha- you know, they were seized on by like spiritual people because uh-huh. they had all these like underlies which she hated, right. but, but she also understood. And I think a lot of great scientists understand this. Like, I remember one time I asked her about, um, angels because we were at this conference in the desert in New Mexico. Um, and this guy, William Irwin Thompson, who's this amazing a uh, uh, philosopher and cultural critic was talking about his experience of dimensionality and angels and stuff. So I, I mentioned it to her later. I was like, so what do you think of all that? And she said, Oh, it's not scientific enough for me, but what she didn't, she didn't mean. So it's not true. She just meant, this is my right. view and I'm working so hard on it that I can't, I can't even begin. Right. You know, and I think that's how a lot of scientists who are really smart, they're not going to try to practice eliminative, Science. Right. They're going to practice a science that they know that's their that's their tool, and that other things can come in and go in right. their consciousness. Right. Yeah, It yeah. doesn't have that place of privilege.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's humility always in in good science or good thinking. You know, do you know who Franz Duvall is? Yeah, the yeah. primatologist. Yes,
0: he wrote the the sushi master and the
3: ape. That yeah, guy? the yes. ape and the sushi master. And he yeah, just came oh, out with called, a book yeah. called uh, that I've just started reading called uh, the. Bonobo and the atheist uh-huh. I think. and and he gets into some of these more subtle distinctions about he He basically says that ethics and and morality and all that um are not dependent upon any religious belief structure; they come out of our primate
0: nature right. huh. that that
3: you find like a sense of justice and injustice in all sorts of primates. Right. And, you know, there's one of his recent experiments that's been really popular um, is he, I think there were uh, capuchin monkeys and they were giving them, uh, they they had like, they would give them pebbles and then the monkey could trade a pebble for a piece of cucumber. Mm -hmm. And so, and the monkeys were like, sure, what the hell, a piece of cucumber. And they were doing it. And then they saw another monkey in another cage, give one of his pebbles and he got a grape. Uh-huh. Right? And they were like, what the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> and so then the experimenter came back and they gave him a pebble and he gave him a cucumber and they threw the cucumber in his face. <laughs> like, fuck you. That's so funny. Fuck you and your cucumber. I want a grape. And it's just, you know, it's like, hey, it's the same deal you had before, but now you saw he got a better deal right. and now you won't accept this deal anymore. Interesting.
0: So that's, that's so fascinating to me because what people usually do to extrapolate, like the thing that sort of bothers me then about how people will use that is they'll be like, so see. And maybe you and I'll get into this a little bit because I I can't tell if it's an ideological difference that you and I have or not. So maybe we'll see. But what people say is, um, well, you – so see, people are just like apes. But to me, we could also just go the other way and say, "Oh yeah, apes have culture. Like they have their own. You know, well, people are apes. I understand that. That's. But I'm making that distinction, which might be false. But oh, so these other apes, they have their own culture. They have their own. Well, they clearly,
3: clearly do. But
0: but usually, it's used to reduce the status. Or, or the way we think about people, rather than just turning it around and saying, "Well, actually, like there are um, impulses and gestures of culture in the natural world that we're just ignoring," you know. So yeah. flipping it the
3: other way seems like a different move to me. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder if it's more than a semantic difference, because I mean, to me it's i I would clearly agree that uh that many mammals have culture and certainly apes like chimps. There are some groups of chimps, for example, that uh, know how to use a flat rock to break a certain kind of nut open and eat it, and other groups that have the same rocks and the same nuts they don't do it, and then you introduce one chimp from this group to the other group and within a couple of years everybody In knows there. how to do wow. it. So there, you know, it's passed down through the generations and there's all that sort of thing. Um So yeah, definitely there's culture and hmm, interesting. But let's circle back to that because what, okay. I, what I wanted to say about Franz Duvall and oh, the humility yeah. of science is I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before but when we were finishing or we near the end of writing the manuscript for Sex at Dawn and um you know, like what you said, I I haven't done field work. I was building this argument on other people's Mm -hmm. work. And one of the people that we used a lot of their work was Franz Duvall and also Helen Fisher. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wrote to both of them saying, look, you know, I'm writing this book, using a lot of your research, and uh, we disagree with some of your conclusions, but we have great respect for your work. And Um, because of that, I want to give you the chance to take a look at this before I send it in. If you think we're being unfair or there's some inaccuracy or whatever, you know, we can talk about it before it's too late. And, uh, Helen Fisher said she was too busy. Um, but friends of all said, yeah, please send it. She
0: regrets that now that the book did so well (laughs) and the things that
3: you've written about it. (laughs) Well, I met her at at TED like a week, uh, a month ago and had a weird encounter with her there. But anyway, um... So Franz Duvall was like, yeah, okay. So I sent it to him, and he wrote back and said, okay, I've read this. Interesting, but have you considered this study or that? Are you aware of this and that? And we went back and forth a bit and, uh, you know, all very friendly. And then he wrote me an email saying, look, um, you might be right. I don't know. This is a really important work and interesting, and it's an exciting book, and, you know, good luck to you. And I said, Um, can I quote you publicly saying that? And he said, "Yeah, you can use it as a blurb if you want." Wow. So the blurb on our book from Fans of All is is the way a dispute over disagreements right. ended, you know? Yeah. And to me, it's like that dude is a fucking scientist, yes, you know? He's absolutely. got no ego invested in being right or totally. wrong. He's just like, "Hey, okay, you made a solid argument. Good for you, you know? Let me help you." And now we're friends. Like we've hung out, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, several times. I love that.
0: I love that. And I love when, I mean, I think the trick is, um, I think the trick to being a good scientist is like quite the contrary of like, well, just get rid of all your judgments and all your um, illusions and preconceptions or whatever. It's actually like, no, just see them and notice them and include them as part of what you've said. Right. So it sounds like he sort of did that. Like, like, yeah, um, you might be right. Like that might is something you know you might be right, i don't know, I need to like consider this more, I know where yeah. I stand, et cetera, et cetera, so he just noticed, and i mean i I love that like I love that um you know i love when people i'm learning how to do that myself i should say like i'm learning still like i get kind of like passionately pissed off at people when they disagree with me and now i'm just sort of learning because there are two different moves um and some people they really do like attack you and like come after you when they disagree with you and how do you handle that i mean you're just like fuck you or like someone like richard dawkins right like he's someone that I think is actively making the world a worse place. So when I disagree with him... I think he's a, a, a brilliant original thinker. I just think he's wrong about everything that he says. Almost. So like, so how do I, about evolution, not just about God, but about evolution, about everything. So like, how do I disagree with someone who I feel like their ideas are now actually doing something that's like polluting and troublesome? Yeah. So there's a certain level too, like, where, yeah. where do you draw that line and as a dis- response? To me,
3: it's a dishonesty. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've said and I think I actually I think it's in the paperback edition of the book in a conversation I had with Dan Savage that we added like extra material Mm. in the paperback. And he asked me, like, what would you do anything different if you were writing the book now, you know, a year or so after it's come out. And uh, one of the things I said was I'd be a little less snarky. Mm. About other people's work, yeah, because now I know what it's like to write a book and to have you know <laughs> right. people call you stupid and yeah totally you know, but the the but I don't regret calling out Stephen Pinker because i think because mm. I wasn't calling him out for being wrong, I was calling him out for being dishonest, mm. yeah, and to me that's the big difference, and I really feel that he shaped the data that he presented in order to support a very political argument that he wasn't making explicitly. He wasn't copying to what he was doing. And so by misrepresenting I mean, I don't know if you remember or, or listeners remember, but there's a section in Sexodon called Professor Pinker Red in Tooth and Claw mm. where we say we point out that in the blank slate and then in his Ted presentation and then now he's he's adjusted it slightly, yeah. which is interesting. It means he did read it or someone pointed out to him what we said, because what he did was he said, OK, let's, let's look at whether violence has increased or decreased since prehistory. Mm-hmm. And the way we're going to judge the rates of intergroup violence war in prehistory is to look at the percentage of men who died in battle. Right. OK. And we'll compare that to now. Uh-huh. And... So as his baseline, he said, well, look at these 10 hunter-gatherer societies, which are representative of the way our ancestors lived and died. And he named these 10 societies. Nine of them are not even close to hunter-gatherer societies, <laughs> right? Like the the anthropologists that he was quoting who lived with them described them as horticulturalists. Right, like what's
0: the one, what's the one that he used that was like really glaring, I feel like?
3: Oh, there were so many. I yeah. mean, and one of them, the one that's debatable is this Australian group from the north, I don't remember the point, there's like a point at the very north tip of Australia, and they're sort of hunter gatherers because they don't grow food, but yeah. they've got like power boats and stuff, right, you know. Right. And they're like <laughs> cruising around. They got shotguns. Yeah. And, like okay, yeah, I guess they're hunter gatherers. Um, but the the point is that w- many people, not not just us, but Doug Fry and and uh, and many other critics of this sort of neo-Hobbesian view, point out that war is a response to the accumulation of resources. Mm. And so, in other words, it's a, it's a byproduct of agriculture and settlements and all that. Right. So if you've got domesticated pigs and, you know, you're growing yams in your garden and you've got structures that you live in all year, that's not a hunter-gatherer society. Right. You've got stuff that's worth stealing right? Right, and worth huh. defending. And so that's where war happens. But if you've got immediate return hunter-gatherers who don't have anything worth stealing or worth defending— then why would you risk your life to fuck around, you know?
0: Right. So it's basically in his definition of war in the first place that was problematic. It's like, his
3: definition of hunter-gatherers. Right. He misrepresented his baseline sample. Right. It's like if I – I think the example we use in the book is like if I say Asians are shitty drivers, just look at Brazil. Yeah. Like, well, when, <laughs> they're not Asian, man. Right. Yeah, so totally. how can you use that as your sample? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when we – so, you know, we pointed that out and I tried to write it to him about it and all that before the book came out, but, you know, forget about it. And now in The Better Angels of Our Nature, his latest book, where he amplifies this whole argument, he calls them pre-state societies. What do you think he's trying to
0: do? Like, this, this is interesting to me because didn't Jared Diamond also do something similar recently to where didn't he call <clears throat> like, he, he called indigenous people like violent savages. Like, do you remember the, like, didn't you hear about this? Yeah, like,
3: something in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And so, like, um... I mean, it's no surprise to me that these people would also be partially racist. But I mean, but, but what do you think Steven Pinker with this argument is like trying to get at? I don't quite understand. Like, is it just like the world? I don't know. Like the world is rosy and bright now because we don't because we don't have like violence and rape. So like, let's celebrate like this consumerist capitalist culture and feel good about ourselves. Yeah. Is that what it is? I think it is. So see that's... And that
3: sells a lot of fucking books, man.
0: Well, here's the thing. Like he, I know he fleshes out his idea of what violence is. I know he does that. So maybe this argument is not appropriate, but isn't it also violence to like, who gives a shit if a, if a if a society isn't violent if all its members are brainwashed to obey The leader, right? Like, I don't know how violent everybody is in North Korea to each other, right? So, like, if if you've had psychic violence done to you, like, intense psychic violence, so there's no outward violence, then you're just presenting a completely materialistic argument that is based on nothing, you know, no real, like, quality of inner life, you know, argument, you know? And so, I I, I don't, I kind of don't get it. I I don't get what he's driving at, or, like, what's so great about that argument in the first place.
3: Well, I think what's great about it is that it, you know, this is the point we make about longevity. I don't know if you remember, there's a section called the longevity lie. I think it's in the same part of the book in the middle there where it's like people want to believe that they live in the best time and place ever.
0: <laughs> right. But you know? we've just emerged from not being in the shittiest place. Yeah. Like, time, Oh, right? yeah. you know,
3: God, we're we're both Americans, man, yeah. the greatest country that's ever existed. Yeah. Freedom and blah, 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 blah. You know, we grow up learning that shit, right? Everybody does. The yeah. French think they're the best. The Spanish think they're the best, you know, although there's a little more humility in the European societies other than France. But, um, you know, we're number one, right? And so, if you can argue, if you can make some grand scientific historical argument that this is the best time to be alive, and if you need to cut some corners to do that, it doesn't matter because that message resonates with what people want to hear.
0: Right. That's how Ronald Reagan got elected. like, twice, It's morning in America. Yeah. Exactly. While he
3: just, you know, bankrupted the country and lied his <laughs> right. ass off. Yeah. And that's how most people get elected. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's true. I mean, right, even right. hope and change Obama. Yeah, Where's yeah. the fucking hope and change yeah, right, Obama? Right. You know? So. Yeah. So I I think that's what he's doing, essentially. And and I mean, I don't I don't know him personally, so I don't mean this to be a big anti Stephen Pinker diatribe. (laughs) But I think what happens is that you you know, if you you write something, it goes out, people respond to it. People love it. You get a lot of accolades, whatever. You're very tempted to keep going down that road. Right. You know, whatever the road is.
0: And that's so interesting to me. So my friend who is a sexologist was telling me about his trainer, like his, um, the people he trained under and all that and how like they follow this rigid sex addiction model and how he knows that that's bullshit. And he was saying, you know, some of them see now that this sex addiction thing is based on a false concept of norm, normalcy. And like how, like if you compare you know, having lots of sex against what's normal in quotes, you know, which is like having one relationship with one person. That's you know s- stupid. Like, of course, you're going to think that having lots of sex means sex addiction means something bad, et cetera. And he said a lot of them were sort of seeing that crack. You know, like they were knowing like, oh, there's something wrong with this, but it's just too fucking late. Like, but I was like, you know, I I wish you would just say to them, imagine how much power publicly you would have if you changed your mind and you came out against this field like you would be really in this amazing position to be like yeah i was wrong but i can lay out exactly why i was wrong i can like you would fucking skyrocket i feel like if if Mm. if you like really publicly decide to change your mind i mean i don't i don't get it and someone like steven pinker i mean people are going to read his books no matter what at this point you know right I mean, he could just uh, have pictures of his hair, his
3: giant Radner hair. hair. Yeah, I know you got to have that hair. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was thinking if you know, because I did a TED talk, and you know, the, the the next book when it comes out, I'll probably go on the Colbert Report. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get to that level. Yeah, I got to do something about the hair. Yeah, you, you got know?
0: you got pretty I, crazy hair, man. I got to. <laughs> it's big. It's big and like yellow and red, and yeah. like you got those big red eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. good.
3: Well, maybe okay. So maybe you're saying like. that... That's enough. I People go, have, oh, that guy. You've
0: got your mad scientist. The guy, down right, there. yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah, my wife convinced me to let it grow. Yeah, you know, months ago, my wife and my ex girlfriend yeah. and, and her husband, the three of them, teamed up on me one night, and they're yeah. like, "Dude, you know, you look like such a straight white guy." Because was
0: it sha- was it shaved? No, it was, it was just you know oh, just regular really, yeah. you know
3: five euro haircut from the Pakistani guy who lives downstairs. Right. And, uh, so they were like, you know, you're going to be on TV, you're doing all this shit. You got to let it grow. You got to look more like, you know, who you really are. Like, all right, I don't care. who I really am is a guy who doesn't give a shit. Right. That's who I am. <laughs> right. That's the way I, you can tell by the way I dress, the way, yeah. you know, whatever. So, okay, fine. If you guys think so, fine. So I let it grow, let it grow, let it grow. And I said, look, the deadline is this Ted talk. Yeah. Cause that's big. You know, I'm going to be, th- that's yeah. a big thing. So if it doesn't look good by then we're going back to square one and like a week before the Ted talk, it was actually Valentine's Day. I was in San Diego on Fox News uh-huh. on a morning show for uh-huh. Valentine's Day. Imagine that. And my hair was like down to my shoulders. And the thing is, it gets big on the sides, yeah. but not on the top. Yeah. So I looked like Benjamin fucking Franklin, man. <laughs> yeah. I looked like a 50-year-old lesbian. Oh. You know, I just, it was yeah, it's not. Yeah, like
0: Gallagher. <laughs> it's
3: carrot top. It was yeah. just not a good look. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we. So, did
0: you cut it for the TED Talk?
3: Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Much, much to Casilda's chagrin, um, she was pissed. She's whatever. like, it was almost there. Like, yeah, almost sorry. Yeah, um, it's almost there. It's been almost there for two yeah, months. Exactly. Yeah. She said the longer it got, it would get straighter because the weight would pull it down. I don't it's like, think it, the yeah, hair doesn't, doesn't work happen. like yeah, that. Yeah. I don't yeah, think so. No. Not...
0: So, so, I have a question for you. Yeah. Because so I've heard you mention on um, Duncan's podcast.
3: The great Duncan Trussell.
0: Yes. And, uh, and, and elsewhere, just about this new book, civilized. To, so, um, civilized to death, right? Yeah. So, um, so I want to know a little bit more about where you're going, if you can talk about where you're going with it, because I was really for a while before I, especially before I moved to San Francisco, like super, super into, um, this like neo-primitivist movement, right. Of mm. like Derek Jensen and John Zerzan and these people who were like, let's, Tear down civilization right and I don't feel that way at all anymore um so I get it's kind of funny like with Sex at Dawn too I was sort of touchy I was like oh it has some evolutionary psychology stuff in it I can't and then I read it and it was you know great and so much more open than I, you know, than I was really. <laughs> and so now like I'm hearing you talk about this book and I'm like, oh, I don't know about the neo primitivism stuff. But I don't know if that's your argument, and I just want to hear like a little bit more where you're going to maybe talk to you about a little bit. Yeah.
3: Well the the thing is the way I write, I don't really know exactly where I'm going until I get there. Okay. You know? Yeah. It's kinda like the way I see it is is like um it's like those cowboy movies where they start digging into the mountain, they're going to mine gold, you yeah. know, and then they get in and they hit a, a vein and like, oh, hey, there's a vein. So you right. turn and follow the vein. And yeah. so you've got a general idea what part of the mountain you're going to be digging into, but you don't know exactly what you're going to find until you're in there. Um, so with that caveat, the general idea is, do you know who Louis C.K. is? Yeah. Okay. You, maybe you heard his. he did a thing, uh, he does a bit, I think it was on Conan or some late night show, where he was talking about being in an airplane and they had mean, Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he says, you know, the Wi-Fi cuts off and the what a stewardess comes on and says, oh, we got to reset the Wi-Fi. And the guy next to him is like, oh, this is bullshit, right? Yeah it turns out there is no guy next to him. That's him, right? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Um, He he said it in an interview later. But the the tagline of that whole bit is he says, these days everything's amazing and nobody's happy.
0: Right, yeah. So
3: that's what I want to explore in the book. Why is nobody happy if, in fact, everything's amazing? Okay. And the general thesis is that I believe that Western civilization is – The trajectory of Western civilization is taking us ever further away from the sorts of experiences that make life meaningful and satisfying. Okay. And the reason it's doing that is a fear of death.
0: Oh, okay. That
3: we're—we—because we—you know, Homo sapiens sapiens, right? We're the— the animal that knows it knows, yes. right? Lots of animals know, but yeah. we know we know. And yeah. one of the things we know we know is that we'll die. And so there's this whole edifice built up both within our consciousness and outside in the society to help us, to assist us in denying that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And But the problem is that the further you move from death, the further you move from life. And so... You know, and there are parallels everywhere. A friend of mine's on antidepressants, and, and she said to me, You know, before I, I took these, I thought they took away sadness, and now I realize they take away feeling. Right. Not just sadness; right. they also take away happiness. Yeah. They take away the the extremes. Yeah.
0: SSRIs are really, really fucked up in that way. They destroy right. your imagination, which is like the worst.
3: And like, well, yeah. My point yeah. is, I think that's what we do on a social level. Oh, I see. So you know, I talk. I, I was listening to. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I, I didn't want to forget this. Um, another parallel. Do you know who Sebastian Junger is the yeah. writer, yeah, yeah, The yeah, Perfect Storm. Yeah, and, and
0: he wrote that fire. The book about fire, forest fires, or something like that. Uh, too, yeah, uh, smokejumpers. Yeah, 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 was that's that him? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: His last book's called War. He was embedded oh, for right. six months with uh, uh, Marines in the Coringal Valley. You know, he's like a super macho dude, and, right, you right. Know, war correspondent. But anyway, the, in the interview, they said to him, like, why? Why do these guys fight? Why? You know, they're 18 year old Marines. They don't know anything about, you know, world politics or pipelines <laughs> or whatever the fuck is going on. And he said they fight for love because they love each other, because they're in there, they're dependent upon each other for life and death. And he said, that's why they fight. And that's why it's so hard for these guys to come back to the States where nothing fucking matters anymore. Right. And your relationships are superficial and you go through your day and nothing happens. You go to the fucking supermarket, nothing matters. Right. And there, everything matters. Right. And so that's why you get these guys who miss war, even though it's so horrible. Uh Because it fucking matters. It's real. Because you're in the presence of death, right? And so I think what we've done is in trying to protect ourselves from this terror this essential terror we have of death what we've done is painted ourselves into this corner where nothing fucking matters and so the number one selling drug in the world is fucking antidepressants
0: right well so but that's that's people trying to avoid pain not de- death right like when you take an antidepressant it's like you can't you don't want to deal with anguish or like
3: right but what is the source of the anguish well see this is interesting I think it's it... the meaninglessness of life uh. and we feel guilty about our our pain. We feel guilty about the suffering because you say because you got people like Steven Pinker telling you, dude, you live in the best moment <laughs> in the right. best place yeah. ever. And you aren't happy. You know oh. what that is?
0: That's like the asshole parent, like who never did anything in his life, telling his kid, like, well, kid, this is high school. These are the best years of your life. That's basically <laughs> Stephen Pinker's whole book.
3: It's like, <laughs> fuck you. <So> the yeah, <laughs> Best years of your life. Yeah.
0: Asshole. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But But so. OK, so I can see it. I can see it that way. Like I can see it as, well, we're trying to avoid – we're trying to avoid death and death in fact would be something that gives – confronting that would be something that would give life meaning. On the other hand – and this is not – this is a mystical perspective, right? Like if you believe in there's some eternality of the human being, then – we might not really think about death that much because we know that it's illusory. So right. then I wonder like if that's true, because here, my experience <laughs> and uh, I mean, again, I am a really, I, I really respect science and I'm a science minded person, but I, I want to say that like, you know, I've had also like intense occult consciousness experiences in my life as i'm sure anybody who you know has done mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever who listens to your show has had their own versions of that but one of the things that I feel pretty solid in is that death is, uh, it's not illusory. It's just, uh, it's a gateway. It's not, uh, it's not the total end of consciousness. It might be the end of me, but it's not. And I, I have an experience of that now intellectually before I knew, but now after some people I knew died, I had that experience. So if that's true, and we begin to sort of take death off the table as like well this is the end so you better cram you better create as much meaning you know or you better just try to have basically it's like try to have a party till you pass out cuz you're so drunk like at the end of it you know yeah. um then how do we organize like a value structure like if we see that maybe death is not the end of who right. we are and, are
3: and are. Well, that's so. the thing. When I say confronting death, I'm not saying confronting it on the terms that this society presents it. Oh,
0: in. I see. Yes. yes.
3: And that's part of the problem because and that circles back to the earlier part of this conversation. Right. We're talking about materialism yeah. and denying anything that isn't illuminated by the materialistic scientific vision. Yes. It can't be real. It is real. It's certainly real for people who, who grow up believing it's real.
0: Yes, that's, you know? yeah, it's so fascinating. And
3: me. so we shoot ourselves yeah. in the foot by telling our kids, like, hey, Santa Claus is real, you know, but uh, magic isn't. Or, you right. know, the trajectory of, of our maturity is away from mystery. In yeah. a secular world.
0: Yes. And so you die and it's over. So that's actually the foundational... When, if we keep getting a message of like, we know that when you die, it's over. Right. Then life cannot help but seem, you know, like it can't help it but at least throw up like the idea that life would be meaningless. Exactly. So that's, exactly. that's an underlying problem. But then there's also, there's this quote from Rudolf Steiner who, that's my sort of intellectual headquarters is with anthroposophy and Steiner. i don't know if you know who that is but he was this vaguely yeah so he, he invented water schools biodynamic farming this type of beekeeping medicine architecture He was like this extremely practical person but all came from this spiritual and scientific knowledge and he was early 20th late 19th century but he said this thing uh uh people resemble the god that they understand
3: oh so interesting
0: if you're an atheist <laughs> materialist yeah. that means that your life will resemble nothingness right and that of course correlates perfectly and so whenever people present this idea like well i'm a total atheist but i can create an ethic and meaning i'm always i'm always a little puzzled by that i don't completely understand yet no one's given me an example of how that could be so and um because how how are you creating meaning? What does it even mean to create meaning? What does it mean to create anything in the face of this total um, and utter nihilistic end? You've know, you got
3: to read this Friends of All book because yeah. I think that's exactly the question he's looking at. Yes. How, how do we have morality and meaning in the absence of a religious structure telling us where this this meaning is located.
0: Why well, don't just mean the content, right? Like the content of the meaning like oh well we're here to adore Jehovah or we're here to like that I dispute all that too. I think that those versions of a religion are usually bullshit as well. Mm. But how but how like what is meaning itself even I mean what is that what does that mean? What's I mean, the what's the like? definition yeah. and what is the experience of meaning? Yeah. yeah. That's more of what I'm a little, what's the gesture and the movement of meaning? How do we even make it? Right. Um, if we're just, if it's all chemical and it's all material, like what does it mean? To, it would have to be illusory. I mean, Daniel Dennett thinks that consciousness itself is an illusion. So how could we even like think that meaning is worthwhile, you know, right. in that, in that field?
3: Well, that, that brings me back to this, this Buddhist expression where they say, uh, Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yes. Yeah. Right? So I think that's where we are. Like, whether or not consciousness is real or anything is real, <laughs> you know, what, wherever we we land on that yeah. stoned late night Pink Floyd discussion, <laughs> right. yeah. uh, the fact is that we have some choice over how to shape our consciousness, yeah. And that's the only choice we have. That's that's all we can do, right? Because everything else is out of our control. So what I'm trying to get at in this book, I think, is not a rejection of civilization. I don't want to like, you know, hey, be anarchist. Everything will be great right. you know, or yeah. tear down the fucking system or whatever. Right. But I do think maybe we've reached a point of sophistication and, and with the, the Internet and, you know, the means of communication that. Are no longer completely controlled by, you know, economic powers Mm -hmm. and all that. And this conversation going out to 10,000 or 20,000 people is an example of that. Um, Since we're at this moment, maybe there's a chance that, I mean, I guess the way to say it is we are going to live in a zoo. There's no way around that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's too late. We're not going to go back to nature. Right. Right. Yes. We agree. wouldn't know how to live in nature. And right. No matter how much camping gear we've got. And even got, if we
0: could, we couldn't forget the shit that we already knew. And
3: there are too many of us. And right. yeah, yes. you know, the world's fucked up in ways that whatever. But the point is, what kind of zoo do we want to live in? Right. Right. Do we want to live in the San Diego Zoo that's got, you know, enclosures that are, you know, <laughs> right. beautiful and, you know, <laughs> right. sort of looks like and feels like the uh-huh. animal's natural state? Or do we want to live in you know the fucking Calcutta Zoo, which is just cages and concrete bars? Right, right. So I think that's for me. If if I can move things a little bit in, in looking at things in that sense, that hey, okay, we're in a zoo, but at least we are the designers. We're this gate. We're the zookeepers, mm-hmm. s- as well as the residents. So maybe we can shape it in a way that's more in accordance with our natures right yeah
0: yeah so i mean it's interesting like so we live um you know who said something that was sort of uh a little uh counter to what you're saying but i but i i agree with what you're saying was um Wilhelm reich who said something like you know like lots of wise men try to decorate the trap that we live in now i don't uh, think that's what you're saying but i would say like what we what we can do is decorate the zoo in a way that allows us to eventually understand how to get out of it. So it's like I don't think we'll ever get out of it. I don't mean get out like I don't don't, mean get out like there
3: is any out of it.
0: Oh, you know what I uh-huh, mean? Uh-huh. It's like
3: we've built up so much. There's yeah, no good, frontier anymore.
0: Well, I don't mean like go back to to, to pre civilization or anything like that. Right. I just mean like, can we can we decorate it in a way that uh, allows us to be not so attached to living there? Can right. we decorate it in a way that allows us to um, to not be so afraid to be there? Like, which is what you're saying to. Um, be able to imagine like how the entire zoo itself could look different, that kind of stuff. Like the things that give us more option for freedom in our, in our world rather than, um, you know, like a sort of resignation. And I think that is what you're, I, I that is what you're saying. I'm just sort yeah. of fleshing it out the way I hear it. Yeah.
3: No, I think with, with all due respect to Wilhelm Reich, but I, I think as opposed to redecorating the zoo, I want to redesign the zoo. Yeah. So instead of like, I don't want to put you know wallpaper up on the cell wall of yeah. uh, a forest scene i want to like break down the cell walls and have us live on an island that actually has a forest right, you know right. and so i think redesign the zoo as opposed to decorate the zoo would probably be but hey this is all we're talking about a book I haven't written yet so, <laughs> yeah, who, so who knows who the where fuck it'll go knows, yeah. yeah
0: right yeah you'll have one conversation with Stephen Pinker and I'll just change everything it'll change right?
3: everything yeah or you'll talk me out of it <laughs> yeah. but that, that'll be the worst huh? <laughs> no oh, I, would, I don't want to talk you do? out
0: of it but that's you were talking again with Duncan about the weird like Star Wars thing and how like maybe like they'll be able to just pinpoint people and zap them from space you right. know, when they disagree so like when When I talk about sort of transcending the zoo like if we start creating all these borders with drones and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff we need to uh, this is maybe a little crazy I don't know who your general demographic for your listeners are but I'm just going to have my own like if we start decorating you know if we or I'm sorry if we start getting surrounded by these boundaries of violent people who are in power and who have absolute power like our our sort of um, way to get out of that is to uh, start engaging with materiality in a different way like oh you say you can kill me i'm not attached to my body i don't care if you're gonna kill me i'm still gonna get at you like that's oh, the taliban gonna, man you're gonna no
3: no <laughs> seriously they've they don't fear death i agree right?
0: i i agree with you but <laughs> no that's actually a really good point but i agree with you but i was even gonna go a little further because they're still sort of materialistic like it's not taken far enough. It's like, well, I don't care about my body, but guess what? I'm going to blow up yours. Like, and that to me is like, we, we can't even like fight back that way. Cause it's like only halfway done when mm. you do that, but rather to engage in some sort of these more, when you see that with lots of indigenous people, these uh, different ways of interacting that are not um, spatial, they're not temporal, that are more magical. And that that's how we start to uh, push back on these physical forces. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that was completely bonkers. I have not, I have not eaten mushrooms, and I'm still looking at the fog, and I'm still
3: in a car. The, the fog is yeah. f- update is weather update, readers. Yeah. yeah, we are enveloped in a cloud now. We're sitting in a car in a cloud, essentially. It's
0: not just a cloud of the bullshit that I just spotted, it either. It's an actual, it's an, an actual, actual
3: cloud, physical, material cloud. And every once in a while, people pull into the rest stop next to us and think either those guys are having sex or singing karaoke. Yeah, it's just like maybe Jude, both. Just yeah, two guys with microphones
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> hanging out in a car in a cloud, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I'm lost. We were, I don't know. All right, I went. okay, that's the problem
0: with tangentially speaking. That is, man. That was you wander you were off the living path. up
3: to the name, yeah. that's the whole point. Yeah, no, here's one. Let me throw this by, you. um, like it. Because we're we're sort of moving between sex and science, which yes. is great. It's Those are the two places I'm most comfortable. Um, I've got this theory that I'm sort of afraid to even say publicly. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> because it could be used by the opposition that, you know, the people who we both hate most could sort of use it to justify some of their bullshit. You'll see what I mean. Okay. All right. Here's the theory. There are... As you mentioned earlier, homosexuality is very much um, culturally constructed. Yes. I mean, I love—I'm pitching this TV show now, which, by the way, seems like it's going to get picked up. Oh, awesome. uh, Called Sex Drive. Yes. And the idea is each episode, it's almost like—you ever watch Mythbusters? Yeah. So it's sort of like somewhere between Mythbusters and Anthony Bourdain. Do you know him? Yes. The chef who goes around— but in sex. Right. So, like, each episode I'll be investigating something that you think you understand, but then you'll see right. you don't really. So homosexuality yeah. is one of them. Like, what the hell do we mean even when we say someone's homosexual? Right. It turns out that's, as you, I'm sure you know, it's, it's a, I think the term was coined as an identity in the 19th century. Yes. And, uh, you know, before that there could be a homosexual act or homosexual relationship or whatever. But you wouldn't say he's a a homosexual. And the same
0: thing for heterosexual.
3: Yes. Right. It it was like people were people and they would do different. Their their behaviors could be or or whatever. So my idea is in the show, one of the things we're looking at is homosexuality. So you go to a prison, for example, and say, okay, Mm -hmm. well, these two guys are having sex. Are you guys gay? And like, they'll say, no, because, you know, I've got a girlfriend or whatever. This is just in prison. And then one of the guys might say, well, he's gay because I fuck him, but I'm not gay. You know, and so there's even subtle variations there. And then you go to to Papua New Guinea where there's this tribe that believes that semen contains the essence of masculinity. So the boys who want (laughs) to be the most macho warriors will suck as much dick as possible. You know, like, are they gay? Well, they sure don't think so. Right. You know, so what's it mean? They don't even have a term in their language to describe that. So, So, okay, here's my theory. Some people are born gay, right? They just know from the t- time they even have any awareness. Of, like Dan Savage talks about right. how, you know, 14 years old, he loved musicals and, you know, bet, who, who's the uh, – who, I was just talking about her the other day. Like it's funny how there's certain female actresses oh, yeah, that totally. gay guys really – like Barbara Streisand yeah, yeah, yeah. or Liza Minnelli. Yeah. What is it about Liza Minnelli? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. No. All right. So anyway, so there's there's that sort of thing. But then – I don't know if you remember in Sex at Dawn, we talk about fetishes Yes. and how men, almost all fetishists are men. And it seems to be that there's a developmental window in which a boy can have an experience where his eroticism is associated with a certain object or whatever, mm-hmm. latex or high heels or whatever it is. And then that window closes. And then from that point onward, he associates erotic pleasure with that thing. Yeah. Right. And what I'm thinking is because boys are horny little creatures and there's all sorts of stuff going on, a boy can have an experience with another boy or with a man in that window. Yes. A boy who is not born gay. Okay. So he's not, he's eight years old and he doesn't give a shit about musicals, but he has this experience and then that act can be like a fetish for him, even though he's straight. Right. Which is what your, your essay made me think of when you said, I don't know if that guy's straight or gay or whatever. Right. Yes. He could be a guy who is straight, but he had this experience. So for him, there's like a fetishistic fascination with having sex with a guy yeah. occasionally that he needs to do. Yeah. But he, he really is straight. He's not in denial
0: it's it's right you're you're positing it as sort of a, a fetish act, just like you would project a fetish onto something else, but but you can still have sex outside of that, although that's weirdly somehow how some people define fetish that you can't have sex without it. But it's some sort of emphasis on emphasis on men that you're talking about that arises in someone's
3: life. Right. Right. Like, yeah, I don't know, like getting a blowjob from someone with a mustache, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You, know, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Because yeah. that some guy with a mustache sucked your dick when you were eight. And right. It like, <laughs> right. And you, you know, so so the the reason I'm kind of worried about talking about it openly oh, of is yeah. like they could say, well, see, those gays can recruit kids. You here's, know?
0: The, here's the thing. Yes. I think I think that you're absolutely right now. Do I think. Here's actually, let me rephrase that. I think that that's possible. And I think that there are lots of reasons why people are gay and we've emphasized the genetic, um, underlying genetic value of it in some weird attempt to thwart those fucking awful people who are like, you know, what we, what we should do or what we could at least move towards and what you're, what you're suggesting we move towards a little bit by even openly speaking about this theory is, um, Who gives a fuck? Like, it, I care, but who gives a fuck if people are gay because they were born that way or because they were culturally, right. you know, turned that way or because they fetishized We should investigate those questions, but they shouldn't be a basis for our morals or our ethics. And so, like, when we just say it's just genetics, to me, that seems like another version of wanting your parent to approve of you. But you're mm. just turning it over to science or God right. in some case instead. Like, oh, please, like, this was how I was born. It's like it's the disease
3: model in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Or it's like, yeah, it's like some sort of like, oh, this is a genetic mutation. Like, First of all, why are people straight? Like we don't ask that. Like right. we don't we don't turn it over to like why would someone be born heterosexual or acculturated right. into hetero. so we have to talk about all of them. Why are some people why are some people like all? I think that identifying people based on just the only gender that they mostly have sex with I mean it just seems preposterous to me. Yeah. Now, as a term of convenience and because I felt the cultural pressures of being attracted to men. I refer to myself as gay all the time. Do I like that label? Do I think it's accurate? Do I think it... No, not really. Have but you I, had sex with women? Never. Never. Uh, never but i think about it do you yeah i think about it and i've never done it and i don't know if i ever will because it's too complicated now it's like (laughs) it's like i'm 35 dude like i'm not gonna like get i'm not gonna get into like trying to figure out how to like get into that territory i'm sure there are
3: lots of women who who would be honored to (laughs) you know to be your first you please
0: email me and there's and there's a whole
3: i mean i'm sure you know this there's this whole like Straight women who watch gay male porn. Oh, yeah, totally.
0: And lesbians who watch gay porn. Right. And also on the rise in straight culture are men who get fucked in the ass by their girlfriends wearing strap-ons.
3: Yeah, pegging. Yes, pegging.
0: So that also is like this other thing that's shaking it up. And so then the gay for pay thing, which you mentioned before, like this stuff, I think, is starting to dissolve. Right. Because of the sexual acts that people are practicing. This identity which is really i mean really is a pathology based model the idea of gay like stems from that unfortunately right um and i i hope it i hope it erodes more i hope like we're all able to just sort of have sex with each other, you right. know. Or...
3: Bonobos.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hope just we're Just no gonna...
3: motherfucking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing bonobos don't they do. They don't do that? That's the only combination. No mother son. Although the mother son huh. relationship is the most important relationship in bonobo societies. Wow. The male's ranking in the male hierarchy yeah. has nothing to do with how badass he is or how big he is or whatever. It's Completely dependent upon where his mother is in the female hierarchy or was, even if she's dead. Still, his rankings like your mother was really admired and loved and whatever. You get the food first or, you know, whatever you get the the benefits of that. Yeah, it's very interesting. And that's the only combination that never happens sexually.
0: And, and maybe just because it hasn't been observed yet, though, do you oh, think? Oh,
3: now they've observed hundreds of millions of bonobo sex mm-hmm. acts. So,
0: see, this is where I would say we can start teasing out the differences between humans and other apes. Right. Is that there would always be an exception. Like, there were definitely some people who fuck their mothers. You know what I mean? Like, if, if it were humans, there would be exceptions. And that's where Cause, I cause start Because humans
3: seeing... would do it just because it's yeah. wrong or because or they don't want to. Or the... Humans are perverse fuckers. Well, They're...
0: there's some something about no... Knowing about knowing that would allow, like, knowing you're not supposed to do that, to somehow turn into yeah. a sexual, a sexual object. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. A, so, so it would turn, and that's that. Maybe actually, maybe we should. Uh, this is interesting. Me, I just am thinking of this now. I don't know if it's true or not, but maybe that's how we can start to tease out differences between humans and apes. Is that there are always exceptions to our cultural mores, yeah. and there are never exceptions. You know, well, for a certain. For the, I certain mean, ones. all
3: right. Hey, granted. The, not all bonobos are always observed, right? right? So but you know, people often say, um, you know, like they're they're so desperate. I mean, if anyone ever sees a bonobo kill another bonobo, it'll yeah. be front page news. Because yeah. there's so much oh, they want desperation to, so yeah. to debunk this peaceful, you know, right. non murderous ape yeah. thing. You Stephen Pinker will probably write a fucking book about it, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um so <laughs>
3: So if anyone had ever seen a bonobo fucking his mother, we'd know. I so that doesn't mean it hasn't happened right it, it just means but no that's so dumb
0: it. because of course it would be like the big exception to the general right. rule yeah but remember that jane goodall thing when she finally saw them like the chimps killing each other and she oh, was just fucking horrified it news, like destroyed man. her world
3: <laughs> but it made her career
0: of course yeah <laughs>
3: you know which which is what you were saying like why does Steven pinker want to make that argument because that's a career building argument yeah yeah that's you know? true yeah it's it's uh, it's interesting, yeah. Wait, so you so why did we mother? Yeah, what was that motherfucking? Motherfucking. Uh, that's why I think motherfucker is the oldest swear word. It goes, <laughs> it goes back before All language. right.
0: it's like it's there's some sort of primitive sound. I prefer to say brotherfucker. I like that better. <laughs> but but there is like um. Yeah, so we were talking about... Oh, we're talking about breaking down identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you done any work with Nika Noel? No, I know her. I talked to her online, yeah.
3: Uh, I interviewed her a couple weeks ago. Oh, you did? And we were talking about that. She's got all these different... Like, she's got a uh, gay male thing and, like, the... What was it? one of her films, like My Mother's Lover? Oh,
0: yeah. 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 His Mother's Lover or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was about like a guy who had sex with his mom.
3: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Something like that. I haven't seen her movies yet. I'll probably work for her sooner or later. And we talk, we talk a lot because she's into natural history and stuff like that. She's too.
3: very smart. Yeah. yeah. You guys have a lot in common. I mean, the whole sex world thing, but also the science. She's yeah. yeah. like published articles about science she and stuff. She
0: wants to be like a math like a math logic person. She
3: actually gave me shit about Steven Pinker. Oh, Because she wrote him an <laughs> oh, email. Oh, because she likes him. She likes him, and he answered her, and they, they've they corresponded, and apparently he's been really nice to her. And yeah. And so... You know, props I to Stephen Pinker I think, for that.
0: I mean, I like Nika, and I think she, uh, I think she's much more invested in the status quo than I am, and that's something she sort of called me out on the other day. She's like, "Well, I think you're just more radical," and I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, that's who, that's who I am. That's mm. what's interesting to me in science is the moment when we say that something isn't true. Like, right. I'm interested in investigating that because you can be sure that it'll show up as true like much later. Right. <laughs> much later. And I think she's just much more like. I'm interested in playing in this field that's been established by these thinkers. So it doesn't surprise me that and that's not a condemnation really. It's just a total I just totally different approach. I think she's more interested in playing in the field that's been set down, you know. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that she would like Steven Pinker, you know. Um
3: so yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's great that there are so many really smart people in porn yeah
0: there really are and yeah. it's, it's so funny I mean the, the reason why I've gained notoriety as a smart person in porn isn't because I'm the only one but
3: because I can write well I yeah. think and I think yeah, that that's, that's, that's you know and you're writing in your porn name right you're yes. publishing under the same name yeah, exactly. whereas other people use different names to keep them separate right so you might, people might be reading a porn star's essays and have no idea
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And I – yes, yeah. exactly. In fact, I know that that's true. But yeah. for me, the whole point was to bring it all together. What's the right. point if you're not going to bring it
3: all together? Right. Yeah, yeah I interviewed Nina Hartley uh, a couple oh, weeks did. ago as well. Yeah. 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 Talk about smart. Jesus. She's, yeah. She's really yeah, – yeah. She's
0: a, She's fucking brilliant, man. And she yeah. – I mean as someone who's just put herself out there to like carry – I mean that's something I try to do is something she does, which is carry the burden of – sex you know like the burden of society's fucked upness about sex she carries that you know every day and she's like I'm going to try to do something about this I'm going to try to do something about it I'm going to mm. try to alleviate right. you know and when you're in porn I mean you can write about it and and uh I'm sorry you can write about it and not be in porn and like you'll still get shit but when you're in porn and you've had sex publicly you get this whole extra like layer of um people being so fucked up and conflicted about it that you know part of being in porn is deciding like I'm going to bear some of this weight because, you know, I know, I know I'm going to have to. But I, I'm in gay porn and being in, a woman in straight porn is even worse. Right. So it's like, you know, it's even more weight. So,
3: yeah. Yeah. So within, within gay culture, if there is such a thing, is being a porn star uh, a problem
0: it's still a problem for sure, but really? it's but it's less of one. Like I get invited to do charity events all the time. Right. And a big part of that is just that sex is linked to – well, it used to be linked to gay culture. Now that's sort of eroding a bit as right. marriage comes in as the main cause and all that kind of shit. And it's like sort of mainstreaming. Like sex is now – uh, being sort of banished to the corners just like it has been everywhere else, right. you know, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, I mean, gay porn stars get asked to do charity events. They get asked to um, be sort of spokespeople. But there's still a general stigma, like, oh, I wouldn't date him, or like, oh, what a dirty... Really? You know, Yeah, that kind of stuff, for sure.
3: Because I would think, as a straight dude, I would think that the whole gay culture is much more sex-positive than you know, conventional culture.
0: We, yes, definitely. But now, like but I said, that's a, ra- that, yeah. and that's eroding. Yeah. And part of that is game.
3: <laughs> I thought I would ruining it.
0: Well, mar- it's just marriage is ruining it. Like I don't even call it gay marriage. It's just marriage is fucking everything up. Yeah. Um, you know, like we were talking about this a little bit before, you know, and, uh, Fran Liebowitz said this, you know, who she is, she's sure. like that. Yeah. So she, she said this intense thing, which I, agree with, at least to some extent, where she was basically, she said, you know, the whole gay marriage movement is uh, what happens when you have post-traumatic stress disorder from everybody dying of AIDS. And so she's like, this is actually this is coming from like being fucked up about something not from uh not from like necessarily standing on your own two feet and like deciding like this is what we want it's actually in reaction to deep trauma and so it's fascinating to me yeah, well wait
3: a minute stonewall was when 70s wasn't it uh yeah so way but, before aids
0: before yes yeah,
3: yeah so the gay rights movement was underway well, the before whole, the aids the whole gay rights crisis. thing was 70s yeah, yeah. so
0: like So, yeah, so it was underway, and then what you had were people who were being – super radical and you had this whole culture of radicals and that's who she hung out with in in New York well the ACT UP is like more AIDS related so like you had this whole culture of radicals in New York like these writers intellectuals blah 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 and they were all like challenging every basic assumption of society this is before AIDS right and they're super intelligent people they have the public eye the intellectual scene is composed completely of gay men and then they all fucking die right not only do they die but everybody who listens to them who knows about them they all die uh, right. so then Just... so then severed from history that whole movement which was much more radical hmm. And the much more sex positive, much more about like we shouldn't have. Most of those people were like anti-marriage, right? Right. Anti-marriage at all, right? And very pro-sex and very let's integrate sex in society. This is the lesson we have to offer you. And then they all died, was well, all wiped out, and so then you have a gay rights movement which is totally disconnected from its own history.
3: Um, and then marriage, interesting, the comes okay. up. Yeah. So yeah, that's that does make sense.
0: Yeah, that's her point. And I'm not anti-gay. I mean, if people want to get married, like that. That's great because you know. It's alleviating pain and suffering for them in a lot of ways, and bringing them joy and all that. But uh, it's, it's. Uh, I was saying to you before that uh, you know my big hope is that it will do exactly what conservatives were afraid it is would, would do, which is erode the institution of marriage altogether. Yeah. That would be awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know I think it is. Again, yeah, you're right. I mean, some of these things, you know, you find yourself saying what the other side hopes you will say so they can misquote you. Yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. But it, but it's true. I I uh, see the whole gay rights movement as the wedge behind which lots of other movements can more comfortably. F- they're like they're 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 yeah. the, the guy with the machete leading the way through the jungle, you know, and the rest of us mm. just walk behind. So like polyamory. You know all right. this stuff, so when they you know when they say, "Well, if we let two men marry, they, well, maybe it'll be three men and one woman yeah. well, yeah, that'd be awesome I right think that's happening. or like yeah.
0: the or like the military thing like well, if if you like is in the military, then like you know, there's gonna it's gonna erode morale, and they're gonna think the other side is cute, and they're not gonna want to shoot anybody. That'd be fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Let's anything that conservatives so. are afraid of, I want. Yeah. Because it's it's like their fears are like better or better for the world than yeah. like their aspirations. Yeah. You know? I hear.
3: I hear <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But. uh, I think it's true. I mean, I don't think, you know, anyone will be marrying goats anytime soon. (laughs) But within human beings, I mean, what is the fucking problem? I think what what the gay marriage thing or the same-sex marriage movement is illustrating is very important, which is that human sexuality and intimacy are two different things. Yes. That who you love and who you fuck aren't going to necessarily be the same. They don't have to be the same. In fact, in some ways, it's hard to maintain that they continue to be the same over time. And it has nothing to do with reproduction. So and this is a point I made at the TED talk. It's like once we recognize that human sex almost never results in reproduction, like one of a thousand sex acts ends up being a baby. Whereas for gorillas, it's like one in 12. And and that's more typical of mammals in general, right? Yeah. We have sex when females are already pregnant, when they're postmenopausal, you know, like blowjobs. Nobody gets pregnant from blowjobs. And yet we do it. And when we recognize that human sexuality is not primarily about reproduction, it's primarily about developing intimacy with someone or having pleasure with yeah. someone or whatever, then... Marriage—I guess the point I'm trying to make is it releases both straight people and gay people from this whole bullshit argument that sex is about making babies. Yeah, totally. And once it's not about making babies, then why can't two men— have the same rights as a man and a woman. It doesn't fucking matter.
0: And and yeah, because the sex act is some it's situated elsewhere. You know, it's so it's so interesting when you're talking I'm thinking about and this is in my book. Um do you know about the origins like the the origins of sex, you know, in the first place, like uh, bacteria and all that? Do you know
3: about the the whole genetic shuffling?
0: Well, yeah. So that so that's how bacteria have sex is they have like lateral gene transfer. So like right. genes like flow in and out of them and all that. But actually, like the idea, and this is, you know, one of Lynn's ideas, but she of course collaborated with all these other people on it. And it, I think it's pretty much accepted now, which is that, with, that bacteria started having. Um, like the first sex act was basically when you had bacteria and very early earth. Right. Um, and the sun was beating down, there was no ozone layer. And so their membranes and their DNA were constantly being damaged by, uh, by light. Mm -hmm. So we, the bacteria already had these enzymes, um, so they could reproduce and heal their DNA. But very often, I mean, they were getting beat down by the sun so often it just had to keep happening, keep happening. So they, uh, some of them would just eject, they would just explode and their particles of DNA would be floating around or whatever. But what they learned to do was take... The genes that were floating around or genes from other bacteria and heal their own DNA based on that. So that's considered the first sex act because it's the first time reproductive, reproductive right. in a sort of way. It's the first time you took genes from somewhere else and really? incorporated them into your own body. Oh shit. That's incredible. So and the
3: genes are from something that's dead essentially that or, exploded.
0: Or from another bacterium that oh, is alive. Geez. So so the fascinating thing to me about that then is that sex originated as a healing act. And that ah. not only so so we can can what I want is for us to be able to encounter the origin of sex which is like we do it to like heal each other we do it because it's something that makes us feel whole and then also the other fucking crazy thing about that is that our first sex partner really was the sun (laughs) so sex is totally cosmic it's like the external environment it's like the sun was the fluffer before we (laughs) like had (laughs) before we had sex with the other so it's so fascinating to me so sex is all around us yeah. And it's a it's something we do to make ourselves uh, understand our wholeness and incorporate uh, wholeness into our lives again. And that would be so much better than the way we deal with it wow, now.
3: Oh man. I don't know if you're going to make me gay or a tantric <laughs> god. I, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> we'll Jeez.
0: find out after we turn the mics off.
3: <laughs> There's a... Uh... Uh, here's a, here's another story that sort of goes in the other direction, yeah. not to rain on your beautiful—I no, I love this cosmic yeah. thing. Uh, but it sort of goes the other way. And this is—I don't know where I read this, but it, it's uh, sea slugs. Uh-huh. Do you know about sea slugs? A little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, apparently sea slugs, huh. you know, these sort of—or maybe they're sea cucumbers. I don't remember. But they're they're like snails, these big snails that walk around or slime around on the bottom of the ocean. And apparently they're all born with both male and female reproductive yeah. capability. And so what they do is they'll encounter each other on the ocean floor and they've got these horns that come, they, they'll start stick out of their head, like yeah. two erections that come out of their head. And they'll start like slamming each other with these horns. Uh-huh. And eventually one of them will break through the skin of the other uh-huh. and... <laughs> When he breaks through the skin, he injects sperm into the other one, and at that point, the other one becomes female. Wow. Because now. So interesting. So the eggs that are. So they're both carrying eggs and sperm, but they have the. So it's it's kind of like a prison thing. You well, know? It's
0: kind of like your. What is it? Ty, was it Tiresias? Right. Who, Tiresias. Who, yeah. Who, like, who, who came upon who the goes two both ways. And then yeah. like, bam. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And he
3: was the one, or she was the one who said that uh, women enjoyed sex nine times more than men. And <laughs> yeah. Stop yeah. and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, there are all that. That. Um, that type of organism, I forget what is what the scientific name for it is for that family, but they all have very weird sexual reproductive like life cycles Some of them um, I believe they like s- they mate and then they like slam their heads down on the bottom of the ocean floor, and then an entirely new organism grows inside and they discard the old body and oh, that 's like God. the reproductive cycle, completely bizarre. Yeah. And that's, that led, um, this scientist, Donald Williamson to, and this is completely crazy to conclude that, um, different organisms of completely different species were interbreeding um, at some point and that's how these things have these really bizarre life cycles so sea urchins go through all these different forms like right. the larval form all the, and they look totally different than each other and then there's sea squirts I think it is I'm getting this wrong and I hate myself for getting this wrong but sea squirts which go through but there's a weird time in their life cycles where they kind of look the same mm. and he said that they're interbreeding and this is created a sort of a scientific scandal and stuff like that. Um, but he, he claims to have in his tank all these organisms that are uh, interbreeding with each other, even though they're completely different animals. And so yeah. it it's destroys a lot of the ideas of, uh, of what a species, species. is. Yeah. yeah. And what an individual is and yeah. all that.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, that gets back to, to the earlier thing. By the way, before we get, it in, get off into another tangent, yeah. sea urchins, biggest yeah. penises, Relative to body size of all animals, I, I thought believe. that was me. No, no. Uh, <laughs> it's not. No, urchin.
0: my penis is you know, as big as the biggest sea urchin.
3: And you know who was a big sea urchin expert? <laughs> who? Charlie Darwin. Oh, he... <laughs> that was his thing. So
0: he was obsessed e. with D. like
3: spiny. Well,
0: I thought fleas had the bigger, the biggest penis.
3: Uh, I don't know. But I've we'll have well, to. maybe. maybe I don't know. Maybe non-insect. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. Yeah, you're, pro- you're probably. But I,
0: it's probably. I can believe that it's. I'm sea pretty urchin. sure.
3: I've never seen yeah. a sea urchin penis, but I remember reading somewhere, and that you know, that's the sort of thing that sticks in my memory.
0: <laughs> sea <what> urchin <you're laughs> penis. Go yeah.
3: figure. Uh, but no, you're right. Like like the question of species, the question of individuals. Those are relating back to the earlier part of the conversation where we we give a word to something and yeah. we start to think it's real. Yes. You know, like what. Okay, my understanding is a species is a class of animals that cannot have fertile offspring outside of that group.
0: Right, not just animals, but anything except bacteria, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Any any uh, kingdom. Any but bacteria. Anywhere, right. Yeah.
3: Okay. But it hasn't at all been demonstrated that chimps and bonobos can't have fertile offspring. In fact, most people think they have.
0: Right. Yeah. So. The, and so,
3: humans and Neanderthals certainly did. I just found out I'm two point eight percent Neanderthal. Uh, just yesterday. Oh, uh, really? Did like genetic, some genetic tracing thing? Yeah. I did a twenty-three. Ah, uh,
0: so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think that there is some there's there are some instances of that, especially when you start getting mm-hmm. up to something as multicellular, uh, multicellularly complex as animals, Right. um, then you have, uh, some that can sort of, that can interbreed and produce fertile offspring, but it's, it is rare. Um, that's interesting to me, the chimps and the bonobo thing though.
3: Well, and you know, Stalin had a program, uh, in Cuba where he sent one of his leading primatologists, um, Oh, they had a, a program where they were interbreeding chimps and humans to create perfect soldiers. Oh my goodness. In Cuba? Yeah. That's so crazy. I want I want someone to make a movie about that.
0: There's Can a Marvel Comics character named the Red Ghost who was uh who was a villain of the Fantastic 4 and he had like super apes and he was from the Soviet Union and there I was always go. like why does he have these super apes? That's where the story
3: came from. There That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they like shipped a bunch of Russian women down there and they had the chimps, you know, they and then something before they really got into it, he got called back and was sent off to Siberia. He'd like whatever yeah. Stalin freaked out and had him killed. So it, it the program never actually happened as far as I know. But they had like. Set up the facility, and they had the chimps there, and they had the Russian women there, and you know it was going to be. By the way, speaking of you know yeah. weird communist stuff, you ever heard of Zug or Zeg? Uh huh. It's this free love commune in Germany. Uh-huh. It's like, it's like a free love commune and a you know, um, sustainable you know agriculture, and all. It's like super new age, new you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's built. On a former military base in the what was East Germany, huh. and the military base was where they trained spies to use sex to seduce, uh, wow, you know uh, diplomats or whatever. It was the like yeah. training uh, base for you know the oh. whole thing. And now it's this free like, love Scar- commune. like uh,
0: Scarlett Johansson in the Avengers, yeah, basically It's Black oh. Widow.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, Scarlett that's really Johansson.
0: cool. So like it's weird, like yeah. So there's some sort of weird. Energy, energy yeah, whatever. Just <laughs> yeah.
3: bizarre historical coincidences. Uh, but you're right. I mean, this question of of individuals, I'm really interested in like bioflora, um, intestinal flora. Uh, yeah. and It's like, you know, well, you probably know, I don't remember what the statistic is, but like in terms of weight, if you take out the yes. water, yeah. more D- more of the DNA in our body, more of the weight of our body is, is bac- DNA is that's not us. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the and dry. We way. are
3: communities.
0: It's so it's so fascinating, and our cells are symbioses of different types of bacteria. So we right. have the like,
3: mitochondria, right? The it's, mitochondria, yeah.
0: and then in plants, the chloroplast, and probably, although still disputed, I don't know why the um, the undulopodium, like the tail, like it, it, it's different than a flagella, like which is a single cell, but the undulopodium has like a bunch of different proteins in it. So people still dispute that, but I think mm. that that's part of it too, and. um yeah, and not the nucleus, which is weird. So the nucleus developed sort of in response to these symbiotic mergers. But then you have those mergers combined with the different cells interacting with each other. Right. Those mergers, those mergers, plus the mites in our eyes, plus the free-living bacteria in our guts and right. our noses and all that. It's mm-hmm. like, we, yeah, we don't have any... Um, we don't have the proper conception of individuality in the way that yeah. we think about it. it I, I prefer to my, think of myself as an address rather, <laughs> than, like, rather than like just – I mean I don't always think of myself that way. But I yeah. like to think of myself as an address, not just where these organisms have – Wow not just where the these, mongols i would be afraid to go down these winding roads <laughs> on those bikes but not not just as like uh these bacteria um, bacteria and all that kind of stuff but also of like errant thoughts and social forces and stuff ah, I, right. like just viewing myself as this place where they all this gravity where they all decided to congregate like if you plant a seed in the ground it doesn't just grow up into a tree it's like you plant a seed and then suddenly the whole universe pays attention and like the water and the soil forces and the sun forces and all that come together and that weird motion of the tree coming up is the result and so i try to think of myself like that sometimes it's it, it do it in meditation and it's really a screwy thing to do you know think of all the things you're made up of
3: yeah yeah <laughs> That's probably as good a place uh, yeah. as any to wrap <laughs> yeah. this up. That's you <laughs> I know think that's good. this this I've got a new fri- uh, friend friend Yvonne who's producing the podcast as yeah. of a few weeks ago and he, he said to me, From now on when you record, remember to uh you know, pause, like say, Okay, we're gonna take a break in the uh, middle so, he can, so, add so a- he can put some music in yeah. and you know, whatever. I completely forgot. Yeah. So that's a good sign. Hopefully that means... the
0: listeners will forget too and it just won't matter. <laughs> They'll just go go down. we started with shit and we ended with everything. With transcendent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that's that's good. a pretty good
3: trajectory. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well thank you. It's uh it's uh tangentially speaking, Connor Habib tell us where to find your, your work of various types.
0: Yeah. So, um, Connor dot is my blog right and it's now. It's Connor
3: C O N N E R C
0: O N N E R H A B I B. And then that's also my Twitter at Connor Habib. Um, I love talking to people on Twitter. I'm pretty active on there. I like responding to people. I mean, I can't respond to everybody, but you know, if, if you don't get a response from me on Twitter, email me, you know, and you can find my email address on the blog and stuff. Cause I, I love it. I love interaction. And then, um, my porn stuff um, is just com, but that's outdated. I would just say just Google – Google. well, actually, you have to add the word porn on Google because they've moved towards censorship a little bit. But you can uh, Google me with the word porn, and you can get all the images and videos that you want of me if you want them.
3: <laughs> yeah. And ladies – it, <laughs> yeah. if, if somebody wants to initiate connor into the wonders of uh of the vagina
0: the terrifying wonderful <laughs> world
3: of the vagina but what about tits do you like tits
0: yeah i mean i like it everybody all everybody likes tits. I, yeah i like it all i just like uh i just don't know if i'm gonna go there or not you know yeah. we'll see we'll see I'm a gold star gay, and I don't know if I want to lose that star.
3: Oh, really? do, yeah. do That's
0: what you, they call are it. Are you
3: diminished if you're with a woman? Well, your fans get
0: pissed off if you're in gay porn and you have sex with a woman. I hope that my fans would love me anyway, but some people would get pissed off. Oh, really? Yeah, because- Because you're like a traitor to the
3: whatever? I guess so. To the flag, the rainbow flag? <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know. <laughs> the
3: fag flag, I don't know. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah.
3: Wow. Yeah. See, I that that's I, that would never occur to me that that would be a problem. So, like, if you had sex with a woman on camera or something, but, right? But if you just like in your private life, well, I wouldn't talk about it. Probably, really? Really? Well,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's complicated. I I'm excited for us to move past stuff like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Definitely.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I I should not be surprised cuz I know in the lesbian world there's that kind of thing like oh you're with a man you sort of lose your lesbian credibility.
0: Oh yeah, and lesbians get pissed off at each other. Yeah, yeah. for sure.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> did, did you have any were you involved at all? Did you know Dan Savage?
0: no, we've a, a we it's so weird we have so many mutual friends and
3: but right. it's just never it's never landed. Yeah. yeah, He got in all sorts of trouble with his thing about bisexuality, and do you remember that? I don't remember. No uh, he said essentially in one of his you know advice things he he said something about how mo in his experience, almost all the guys that he's known who claim to be gay are who claim to be bi later turned out to be gay oh, right. and it was like a transitional phase they were going through and yeah and that really pissed people off and he and he cited research showing that you know this seemed to be true and then much to his credit more research came out yeah. that disputed his point and he got so much mail and he came back out and he said you know what i was wrong i according to my experience that's what I saw, right, but clearly, my understanding isn't Well, I'm glad he took it research. back, but
0: it's still like i I know we have to end this, but i mean it's still like uh Seems incorrect to me. Like, what are we judging someone's real sexuality of? Is it the totality of their sexual behavior during their life? Is it their inner commitment to certain genders? Is it whatever? I mean, it's so much more complex than like, well, you were bi and now you're gay. So you were really gay. It's like, so the sexuality you die with is like the sexuality that you really were. I don't get that. Right? You know, what if you were really gay, but you never came out of the closet or had sex with a man and you die when you're 18. Like, does that, what does that mean? So that view of sexuality is so overdetermined in my view,
3: you know, it doesn't
0: make sense to me. It doesn't have any sort of growth or motion or time
3: principle to it. It's too fixed. You're right. It's funny how we, how we constrain the world in order to make it easier to talk about.
0: We turn everything into objects, yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and they have to be clearly defined, even if they aren't. Even if we know they <laughs> right. aren't, but we all sort of agree to pretend they are so that we can talk about them.
0: That's why people, like, when they say that porn is objectifies people, I'm like, you think porn is bad? What about science? Like, science is the most <laughs> objectifying thing on That's the planet. So yeah. it's like, why, how can you... Uh, yeah, like we turn everything into something completely discrete as if it's solid and then we reify it and then right. we're f- then we're fucked.
3: <laughs> Wordsworth said we murder to dissect.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. And when we dissect we murder.
3: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Interesting. We should do this again. Yeah, You're absolutely. an interesting guy. Uh, okay. They've got your... Uh, what about Lynn's book? What, what would you recommend for people who want... I've read several of her books. I can't remember what they were called, yeah. but I definitely read her work. The
0: best intro is called Symbiotic Planet, and um, that is... That's the best intro. It's short. It's fun. Um, she talks about Carl Sagan a little bit, who she was married
3: to. Um,
0: oh, all she, right. She was
3: married to Carl Sagan? yeah.
0: yeah. Who I... Love him,
3: but I'm pissed at him.
0: Oh, me too, yeah. Why are you pissed thing. at him? Well, I have some insider information that oh, I probably shouldn't divulge, okay. but yeah. All
3: right, I'm pissed yeah. at him, and maybe this is the same thing, because <laughs> the guy got stoned every fucking day, yeah. and he never talked about it. Uh-huh. Even when he knew he was dying, he could have come out and said, hey, you all think I'm a fucking genius? Thanks a lot. I get stoned every day. It's not a problem.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. You
3: know, he could have moved that whole movement forward quite a bit at no expense to him. He could have been a lot more radical if he wanted to be. Lynn yeah. was
0: a radical, He was not. He was more just sort of the moderate. He could have pushed a lot harder. You're right. Is she at Cornell? Well, she she was no. She was at UMass, and so she. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. She died. So um. So that, and then if you really want to blow your mind out of the back of your head, read "Acquiring Genomes," which is a different uh, idea of how evolution happens. That's not random genetic mutation meets natural selection, and which I think has much, much more evidence to lend itself um, to. Lent, much more evidence lends
3: itself it's to her theory. a directed theory.
0: evolution idea? No, no, no. It's not creationist. It's well, not directed Why do we creationist?
3: I, I mean the way, uh, if I can ex- say this clearly, I don't know if I remember, that that things seem to evolve in a particular oh. direction that is most beneficial, but there's no way they could know it would be, but right. there's evidence that's they play, go that that's way. That's
0: platonic. That's really interesting to me, too. So I sort of believe that that's happening there are laws of form that uh involve themselves in evolution like the way you're talking about but her theory which i think is also a part of evolution is uh symbiogenesis which is that uh evolution happens through mostly symbiotic mergers usually between bacteria and other organisms and so oh interesting that that book will if you're open to it as you know a lot of people are you know Ernst Meyer like loved does the intro for the book and he's like I don't totally agree with everything but I've got to say this is mm. really like messing with my head mm. um you know nature like a bunch of you know a lot of places really love the book but they were super challenged by it so they couldn't take it right. on so uh symbiogenesis so that's what that book is about yeah so those are the and what's two that records. called again acquiring, acquiring genomes. Genomes. genomes yeah which she wrote with Dorian Sagan her son
3: yeah all oh, right yeah right great all right. Well, that that's food for <laughs> that's thought it. right yeah. there. All right. Thanks for listening to Tangentially Speaking, and uh, I'll be here next week with someone smart and fascinating. I hope.
2: <laughs> you said, "Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day." For example, I can kiss you just because I want to. for much? A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up or give it a rest?